Hello and welcome to the Stranger Than Fan Fiction podcast, a podcast where we read and review old MTR fan fiction. Uh, this is episode very special because it's actually the newest fanfic we will be reviewing today. Yes. I'm your host, Irene, aka Brumsway of Life. Here with me is Alyssa, aka The Rational Dove. Uh, and thank you all for listening as always. Um, but yeah, today is a very special episode. I think. Uh-huh. You know, fingers crossed. I think we should time this. I think that we we discuss this a little bit, and you know, maybe maybe this will not be what happens. But I think we tentatively wanted this to come out close to the anniversary of MTR, right? Yeah. yeah. Or or worst case scenario, close to the anniversary of when this fic was published, which is in the future. Yes. <clears throat> so. Also, okay, sorry. No, you're okay. Yeah. So. Um, Depending on when this episode comes out, uh, it's either close to the anniversary or close to the anniversary of this fic. Either one. Um, Definitely spring. But, yes, it'll be springtime. And uh, we're... Or fall, depending on the year. That's true. We, we don't want to forget about our Southern Hemisphere viewers, which right. I think there actually Southern are some. are valid. Uh, yeah, we do have some people who are from, I think, our most popular, well, we have 1% of, we have 1% from Peru, 1% from Australia, 1% from New Zealand, so they're all kind of even, but yeah, we do have some, we do have some, uh, some Southern Hemisphere viewers. I'm pretty sure Peru is in Southern Hemisphere, because it's in South America. I think it's below the equator. Any of those countries, when it becomes possible but also when i can afford it everybody's joking about how they they can't travel because of lockdown or whatever but it's like could you even afford it i know (laughs) i have my notes organized it's it's called the good and then it's just called the bad but the bad in your defense there's a lot less yay i'm happy i'm happy that i've achieved that that much that's i'm happy about that um and uh, another note is that uh, for several reasons, my standards for the story are much higher than they are for every other story. So bear no, that, that in mind. Hey, I mean, like, honestly, probably to, to some degree in comparison to some other authors in the fandom, I probably... Okay, this might sound super conceited. So, okay, like... I'm ready. You know... But I, considering my background, how old I am, and how much experience I have at writing, I think it's mm-hmm. fair that you'd put me at a higher standard because I kind of. Oh yeah, I agree. I'm not. I'm not starting out. I'm not really an amateur, so. Yeah, and like a lot of people come to fanfiction at a really young age. Mm-hmm. I think the first time I published a fanfic, I was 15. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I was way younger when I first posted my first fanfic, but. Was not brave enough to do it earlier. But yeah. <laughs> Wait, how old were you when you published your first fanfic? Well, while we're at it, <laughs> let me look up my first fanfic and I'll tell you. Actually, I can't just search by title because that title is like uh, super common and we'll be here forever uh, if I just search it by that. Yeah, you should search stories by username. Yeah. That's for me that is the quickest way I found to find a story. Yeah, we're uh, I don't already know. Okay, yeah. so I posted my first fanfic 
Okay, so I was mathing. Um, hold on. Like, because you're immortal, so it's kind of hard. <laughs> I have so many centuries I have to go through. Um, oh, damn. Fanfiction.net so... was alive for seven for several centuries? Damn. <laughs> Wait. No. Okay, yeah. And then Oh, I'm I'm doing my math wrong. That's why. <laughs> Sorry, I was like I was like doing my math and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not how that works. Get out the calculator app of shame. <laughs> yeah. Then no, so if I was okay, so I was Okay, so then um, I think I was 14 when I published my first fic. Ooh, Hold so on. you're like, Wait. I one up you by one year. Actually, maybe it was more like 13. Oh, interesting. Because, okay, I was and born in 95, and I was 11 in two, 2007. And I first published my first fanfic in twenty two thousand nine, so I think I was thirteen. Yeah, no, that sounds right. <laughs> it's weird because uh, my birthday's later in the year, so um, it kind of I kind of have to like subtract one whenever I do the math. Anyway, so somewhere between thirteen and fourteen. Actually, you know what? I am so I was so a thirteen year old because. Uh, the character in that story is 13 years old. That's, yep, oh. I was 13. <laughs> That's how I know. Anyway. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know much about English grammar then. Although I did start reading more. So I don't think I started writing for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay. So I guess before we talk about the story, let's mm-hmm. talk about the author. First off, Alyssa, thank you so much for coming. You know, we know. Oh, you're, you're right welcome. Your book tour. You you're know? welcome. We're, we at this humble podcast are so grateful to be graced by your presence. <laughs> thank you, know? you so much. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah. So I was perusing all of your different uh, fanfiction profiles because you have one on fanfiction.net, one on Ao3, and you also have one on. Tumblr, but there's less there's less juicy content there. Let's be real. Yeah, that's I mean that's pretty fair. Um, um but anyway, so right off the bat, fanfiction.net says that you've written fourteen stories for Urong High School Host Club, Hitalia or oh it specifies Hitalia Ash Powers, I don't know what that means. Transformers, NPR, and something called Flesh Anima. I've yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, those are all. That's true. Those are all the fandoms that I've written fan fiction for. Now I have had stuff that I've planned for different fandoms, but they've never seen the light of day. Um, I know that's this because I still have the drafts. Um, uh, one of them, I am like, I think I dodged a bullet by not posting it. Honestly. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, so I mean, you have uh, in your your fandom arsenal mm-hmm. hung out 
quite a bit in the anime world. I have, I did, yep. It's very true. Yeah, and it's just a very early 2000s profile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you tell? <laughs> it really is. Um, I also want to point out, uh, I'm looking at, I was looking through my own, some other stuff on my own too, and... Uh, one of the projects, I will say one of the, one of the projects that I never saw the light of day, and I don't even know where it is, because I, I forgot about it, but then I, I, I rediscovered that I did it, or was planning on doing it just a while ago when I was looking through stuff for this podcast, and I also was per- planning on making a Neopets fanfic. Uh, <laughs> again, never saw the light of day, but, um... Yeah, well... We're going to talk about your secret project later, but, um, hmm, I guess, like, did did you, do you notice, like, a pattern in the kind of fandoms that you were drawn to? Uh, well. Because even though, even though Transformers and Hitalia and Neuteromptions are all, like, vastly different. They are, yeah. So... Can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can. Can you not? Can you hear okay. me? Sorry, I'm a little, I'm a little further away from my microphone. Let me, like, let me move, let me move my microphone silence. a little, a little closer, like little so of, you can all hear me. I hear like little bits of silence, but like not enough for me to be like, is an audio issue? Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. maybe it's just you're not close enough to the mic. Okay. It might be that. Um. So. Uh. Well, in in in, in to- like in general, so uh, let me ask you another question as a follow up. Are you talking about right. like the kind of fandoms I'm drawn to in general, or just the ones that motivate me enough to write fanfic? Ooh, that's a that's a good follow up question. <laughs> um, both. Thanks. Okay. If there's a different answer, you know. Sure. Um. So I guess they're sort of related. Like I think. I definitely think there are certain types of stories and and stuff that intrigue me more than others. Um, So I'd say that um, uh, across my life, I think I've, I tended to be pretty drawn to, um, man, it's kind of hard to to say. I, you know, I I feel like there was stuff. We can come back to this. It's so strange because, I don't know, there's, like, so many different, a lot of the fandoms that I've written from, a lot of fandoms I've liked, and the stuff I've liked have been kind of different across my life, so it's, it's been kind of hard. I don't know if there's, like, one specific thing that I think is, like, that, like, draws me to something. I guess if I had to choose something, it might be, I tend to really enjoy um fiction with ensemble casts most of the ones that i have have like you know multiple major characters typically at least five if not more um i tend to be i tend to be pretty intrigued by fiction that asks really interesting questions and explores interesting topics um and when it comes to writing fanfic I think the the fiction that I tend to write for tends to be ones where I have an interesting, like I kind of use the world as sort of a jumping off point for my own ideas. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> sometimes the, fic- the fiction that I write for tends to be ones that I kind of, um, 
tends to be ones that I uh, think I can improve to some extent. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that's more how I think about it now and not so much how I thought about it when I was younger. Um, okay. But, you know, I, I tend to, when it comes to writing fanfic, I tend to, if, if there's some story I want to write, it tends to be um, when I respond um, to a certain aspect of that story and then I want to take it in my own direction. Um, yeah, so you have something to say. Yeah. I, and, uh, you know, again, that's something that, um, you know, I think... I, I also feel like I... I don't... I would say... I, I gotta say, I feel like also... If I can talk about my own oeuvre for a moment, I feel like I don't write that many stories that are super canon compliant. Uh, honestly, um, I feel like a lot of my previous work has been pretty wild in terms of canon. Um, mm. Let me look fun. up. Let me look up my own myself on <laughs> looking up myself on on fanfiction.net for my own. No, I think that's kind of harder to. Um, like I think in my newer work, like with Revisited and especially with MTR, I think with MTR I tend to be a little bit, a lot more canon compliant. Um, I guess mostly because the work, the, the, the stuff I want to explore doesn't necessarily need to be divorced from canon, but with some of my previous work, um, with other fandoms... Arguably, because with MTR we have, like, less canon to work. That's a good with? point. That's a very good point. Games? Yeah. Maybe? Hmm? I said maybe. Yeah, so I, um, like when I'm looking at, um, my archives, like most of, like the vast majority of the, like a lot of the fics that are here, I could just by looking at it and remembering kind of what the vibe was for those fics. I would say half of them, at the very least, are not canon compliant, and the other half are. So. Uh, like, of all the fics that you've ever written, kind of thing? Yeah, and the ones that have... Both the ones that I've published, and the ones that have not been published. I'd say point, point, about nine, half nine. of them. <laughs> I'd say that half of them, uh, about half of them are very canon compliant, and then the other half are ones that I kind of pick you know, vague stuff, and then I make the rest of it up, so. Yeah, I used to be really, really, like, overzealous about canon compliance when I was younger, Mm because I just kept reading stories that weren't explicitly alternate universes, but they were just, like, very out of character and very bad, and I was just like, no, you gotta have, you gotta have a standard, people, Uh but then... Uh, as time went by, I'm like, oh, okay. So playing around with the canon is actually fun sometimes. So yeah, I my sta- my standards on this are a lot looser, but mm. like they have to be with purpose, you know? Right. But there's definitely merit in getting to reinterpret things and play around and add your own voice to stuff. Yeah. Uh. Uh, so that okay, did that okay, did that answer your question? <laughs> that was a little long-winded answer, but did that answer your question? Uh, I, I, sort of. Okay. But here's another question: If you sure. could change something about the Misa Robinson canon, because technically we have a movie and a book, but mm-hmm. 
What would, would you change something? Oh, man, that's that's a that's a very interesting question. I I guess it would depend on what kind of story I wanted to tell. Um, I mean, because there's there's the, the, the there's one way of approaching it, which is like just thinking strictly in terms of like how the story of either the movie or the picture book is constructed. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of different from, say, the actual, like, universe itself. Um, True. I think, I think most of my, most of the things that I find lacking about MTR have been with the villains, specifically um, uh, a bowler hat guy and the, Doris. The tea is um, piping! Hey, you know, I try. Yeah, um, I totally agree. Yeah, so, uh, because of that, um, hold on, hold on one second, uh, there's a little bit of a problem, my headphones are, oh no, yelling at me, I'm not sure if they die in the middle of the podcast, that would be very awkward, um, but anyway, um, so, uh, one of the one of the problems. What was I saying? You you would change the villains of NPR. Uh yeah yeah I I feel like um you know and I don't think there's anything like super bad or heinous about those two characters. It's just that I feel that I don't know. To me, especially Doris, I mm-hmm. think. I, I, I've spoken to at least you, Irene, about this before, but I don't know about yeah, the I'm, audience. I'm privy to so many of your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think probably um, the thing that I... Uh, like, so if I had full reign over the MTR universe, I think the biggest two changes I would make would be, A, I would make... I mean, this isn't more of a change, more of an addition, but I would make, I would make Wilbur uh, canonly bisexual or um, queer to some I extent. I don't know if we'd have time to mention it in such a conservative movie. But <laughs> no. I feel like we could. Maybe, you know what we could do? Why am I saying this as if I'm working on MTR? But you know what mm-hmm. we could do, guys? At Pixar, at Disney, at Steve, <laughs> no, Steve, the other guy, Steven Anderson. Steven Anderson, yeah. We could passively identify Wilbur's by by having... Yeah, having him have like a big bi flag in his bedroom, <laughs> and like there's a chase scene where you briefly see his bedroom or something. Yeah, there you go. It could happen like that. That could be cool. Yeah, yeah. So I would do that if possible, and then I would. But the biggest change I'd make is I I feel like for like Doris specifically, I think one of the things I kind of never really liked about her is that she's kind of just a plot device. Like, she really just kind of serves as sort of, like, a a twist villain, and, like, she has motivations, but her motivations are, A, kind of stock, and kind of, like, she's just, like, Hal 9, not even Hal 9000, she's kind of, like, a woman scorned, but robot, you know? And that's not... her mode is vengeance. Yeah. She doesn't have anything that she wants, it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's kind of, like, this weird kind of spite thing that I kind of feel is a little boring. And I personally would have preferred to, 
I mean, you know, I understand why they don't explore her because there's just not enough time in the movie. Yeah, uh, well, actually, but... I read that um, in their earlier drafts, there was no Doris, and Bowler Hat Guy was just super evil. Like, he wasn't dopey. He was actually evil. And oh. then people were like, hang on, maybe he's too scary. So in order to dilute his scariness, they put it all inside of Doris. And they oh, made him a I bit see. Of a hmm. And Doris was just kind of a last-minute addition, as far as I know. Well, that definitely checks out to me. Because, um, like... Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think that, like, like, like again, if we're talking about changes I would make to the movie, I don't know how I would make Doris have more intrigue, given everything else that's happening in the movie. Maybe I would just remove Bowler Hat Guy and have Doris be the main antagonist and give her more complexity. Um, I mean, that would probably change a lot of the emotional core of the film, so again... It's a little bit weird. But if I were, let's say if I were just, like if there was an extended universe or whatever, and we were talking about just in general. Um, yeah, the Robinson Cinematic Universe. Yeah, exactly. Um, then I would say I would, you know, I would love to see um, something that would explore Doris more. Sort of, because I think that she does have some interesting motivations, right? Like she... She is this creation of Niels, who basically did not appreciate her lot in life, and when yeah, she, she could, maybe she could represent like Niels' failures as like a person yeah. or an adult or an adventure, and that could tie into Lewis's character growth. So it kind of unifies everything all together, even though Lewis doesn't know who Doris. Yeah, like, like, because one of the things that I find kind of lacking about MTR's message is that, like, like, yes, Goob didn't, like, move on from his failures, and yes, Doris, you know, blowing up the timeline is probably not, like, a good thing. But, you know, I would say that, like, I mean... You know, Neil could have helped Goob out once he became successful, you know? Like, presumably... Oh my god, that's such a huge pet peeve of mine. Yeah, like, especially... apologizes to Goob. Like, he... Ne like, because, like, Goob... Like, he did make Goob... He did, like, keep him up. He did do all those yeah, things. and 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 like evil, but he's a bad roommate. Yeah, and, like, the, and, like, the fact that, like, he never, like... Like, like, I understand, like, maybe he wants to put the orphanage behind him and doesn't want to keep in contact with the people from that time. But, like, I mean, when you're that wealthy, it kind of feels a little skeevy that you wouldn't, you know. Like, like presumably if he heard, I would, I would hope that if Neil heard that the Sixth Street Orphanage was running out of money or closing down, that maybe he would want to try and save it or make sure that can imagine, it was happening. Like like three to five uh, quirky kids, three to five plucky orphans will like have a whole adventure in XYZ metropolis that uh, MTR is set in, and they're mm -hmm. gonna go straight to Cornelius Robinson's house to convince him to save the orphanage. <laughs> and it'll be like the Hey Arnold movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just, it just seems a little weird that he, and the movie never, the movie seems to put 
all of the blame for Goob's lot in life to him, which I feel is kind of unfair. Like, it's not Goob's fault that, like, the orphanage closed, and it's also not his fault that, like, you know, um, no one wanted to adopt him. And it's also not his fault that um, Lewis kept him up all the time. Like, that's, you know... So yeah, I think the I think the like self-help movement and the positive thinking movement gained like a lot of traction in the late 90s and the early 2000s mm. and that probably influenced the themes of the movie which was hey, yeah. don't don't be stuck in self-pity all the time. You still mm-hmm. have control over your perception. Just be happy, keep moving forward, be grateful, whatever, and then you'll find your dreams. Yeah. And I think that that is kind of lacking a lot of nuance if you're if if you're like an adult. But I mean, yeah. when you're a kid, it's like I, I guess it's enough for now. But it's yeah, it's not gonna be enough when you get older. Yeah, and like I mean, you know, I think that Goob's the way that Goob like sort of rationalizes his how he is is like you know not necessarily healthy either. Like I'm not saying that like Goob is. Um, <laughs> doing things in a healthy way but like also you know i don't know when when i look back on the movie to me it just kind of i really wish that the movie had kind of addressed the ways to which neil was you know kind of responsible to some extent and then also the same thing kind of extends to doris right like again doris uh like you know, I, I can't say that I would, if I was in a situation that I would want to be basically sold as a commodity for a bunch of people and being a, being a servant basically to every, to the people um, without my, my own personal will. And, yeah. you know, the fact that she basically is like, I don't want that, and then gets thrown out for that, you know, um, I think that that's a, a pretty interesting potential thing you know like and and the also uh, yeah, it's a very kind of thing that's missing from the movie is that doris doesn't have a very strong motivation yeah and and you know like like lewis never really like clearly doris has emotions and feelings like she's not like hal 9000 where hal 9000's whole evilness was that he had no emotion like he was purely a logical being and he was only like his whole directive in in 2001 safe space odyssey is that like he it's he has to accomplish this mission at all costs and you know yeah, even if it means doing immoral, immoral immoral things um so that's really the what how 9000's whole villainy is mm-hmm. doris on the other hand she while she's in the traditional robot bad guy frame she's also clearly emotional as a being like she clearly has you know thoughts feelings and an individual personality you know she's not just a program in the framing of the movie right so to me it kind of begs the question then like why like, like, I get why the movie ends up killing her at the end, because she basically destroys the world, I guess. But at the same time, again, a lot of it, I kind of wonder, you know, Doris, you know, she, she, part of her vengeance came from sort of 
the ways in which Neil created her and how much she didn't like that. And, like, yeah. and like you know, maybe Neil, maybe the... Basically, long story short, I think... Because, like, to me, I feel like if I was writing MTR, the solution I would have would not be have Neil, have Lewis say, I will never invent you, but say more, I will invent you, but... I will recognize the fact that you have your own wants and needs and give you the place in the well, world that yeah, you want. Yeah, it's a bit of a cop-out. You know, it doesn't Neil really, it doesn't, the, the story doesn't acknowledge the fact that the reason why Doris is the way she is is because Neil basically created her to be a servant. Which, I mean, considering that she has, clearly has sentience and is sort of independent in the way that any human is, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's as the kids might say, not a great look. Um, so it's a very bad look. So yeah, personally, I, that's one of the things that kind of is one of the things that I find lacking about the MCR verse. And, um, if, yeah, you know, I, I ever been more character growth, better character arcs. Mm. Yeah. And stuff. It was a little bit like too easy. Like, you know, it's a kid's movie, but like, come on, there are so many holes. I know. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that, like, I mean, people say that, but also, like, I don't know, The Incredibles exists. <laughs> and that's a kid's movie. Um, right? Like, oh literally, God, the whole movie so revolves good, around a guy's midlife crisis. Like, Mr. Or like stops a guy from committing suicide, and that yeah. ruins his career. Yeah, or like freaking Finding Nemo, who has a very strong character arc for Marlin, whose whole whole character arc is learning how to mm. basically mm-hmm. like see his child as sort of yeah, you know learning a... learning to let go of his fears and embrace the the scariness of life. Like, that's a very complex moral for a kid's movie. <coughs> you know. Oh, gesundheit. Thank you. So. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad comparing any movie to just so incomparable. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> if you want to make a great movie, that's where you want to reach. Yeah, like, like, there are plenty, like, again, there are so many kids' movies that have really complex morals and really interesting characters, and I don't think yeah. that it's too much for a child anyway, especially because, like, the thing about Disney is that, like, Disney doesn't make movies just for kids. <laughs> like, literally... Yeah, they have a lot of, like, hidden parental appeal. And yeah, literally, I mean, even from, even from with... Maximum profit. And it's not, and, and like, you know, and that's been the case since the company was founded, you know, like Walt Disney has been famously quoted for saying that he writes movies, you know, both for the children in the audience and in the, and in the child of, uh, in all of people. So, hmm. you know, he mm-hmm. was writing, at least when he was alive and working on movies, he was creating them with adults in mind as a potential mm-hmm. viewer. Um, yeah, and also, I definitely think that's, like, part of his success compared to, like, Tess Avery cartoons where it was very slapstick and very simple and it didn't mm. resonate with you emotionally, but it was still entertaining. But it yeah. didn't have that kind of, like, lasting impression on you. Yeah. Which 
I think was like very revolutionary that Disney was so ambitious with mm-hmm. start at the time. But now Disney is such a powerful conglomerate that like they're very conservative in their storytelling now. Like both yeah. politically and just in general. Like they don't want to take any risks at all because they just want all the money. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that. And also, MTR has suffered many production boo-boos. Oh, yeah, MTR was created. a bunch of times, and, like, it was in production for so long, and they're like, guys, we gotta make progress. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was in, in, like, production hell for a while. Um, It had very trouble. they had to, like, redo most of the movies. Yeah. So bad. Then they got they got critiqued by the the guys at Pixar because I think originally it wasn't even supposed to be three D and then it was and then suddenly Pixar was coming along and Pixar had been doing stuff in three D for longer. Yeah. It's just like your bigger your your big brother is like teasing you for how bad your hair rendering is or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just like The Incredibles came out like three years before MTR just to compare. I know, uh, and I will, and unlike, look, not to continue to throw NCR into the bus, but I'm going to just say it, Incredibles looks way better. <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. It's so like, really it looks good. way better than MCR does. <laughs> it's so good. Which, like... Hey, listen, do you want to start the Incredibles podcast? No, oh my god. <laughs> I mean, I haven't read enough uh, Incredibles fan fiction for that, but like, you know... It's never too late to read a bunch yeah, of them. Yeah, I think, I think for an Incredibles podcast, we would probably have to expand our content just because the Incredibles fan fiction is kind of, I think there's more now, but it's kind of like, anyway, I don't want to yeah. get too off topic, but it, it could be done in theory. Yeah, no, it could um, be. But yeah, I totally agree with you, and I would trust an MTR sequel in your hands. Oh, that's such high praise. Thank you. Yeah, I have more cool author background. Also, we can cover that after we talk about the story. Sure. I feel bad. Our our listeners are starved for the main course. (laughs) Yeah. um... I've compiled some statistics here because this story was published in three different places. Yes. Oh, I forgot to check how many Tumblr notes it has. It has like 85. This thing has quite a bit. Yeah, which is more authentic on Tumblr, in a new fandom, I'm just, like, mind blown. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's, it's done, uh, well, I'll let you finish with the statistics, but, um, yeah, then I'll say my piece about my thoughts. <laughs> he has done the numbers, and I'm gonna read the numbers, so, word count, 3.5 thousand, it's a one-shot, but nine people still followed it, rated Team <laughs> Plus, the total amount of reviews is 16, and then between the two platforms, because I didn't really check Tumblr, on average, that's 8, 9, again, 9 follows on fanfiction.net, and then also on fanfiction.net, 212 saves, and then 160 kudos on AO3. It's very hard to compare saves and kudos. It is, on yeah. On AO3, you can leave a kudo, and you can leave a bookmark. Yeah. And I'm just like... It's like the difference between I like you and I love you, you know? Right. How committed are these people to the story, you know? Yeah. When they they give a kudo versus when they give a save versus when they give a bookmark, anyway. Yeah. So, that's quite a lot of kudos, though. Yeah. And 1812 hits on AO3, because 
FF Donut can count hits, and then yeah. 28. Although, if I log in, I can probably tell you what my statistics are for revisited. Ooh, cool. We would get live, live <laughs> analytics. Live, live analytics. I don't think it's a lot, honestly. Just because, more because, um, fanfiction, A, fanfiction.net is not really the most popular fanfiction website in the world anymore. And then two, um, MTR is like definitely still, not popular. It's, it's still kind of significant because if you're super new to fanfiction, fanfiction.net will be the place. Oh, yeah. Just because of the URL. Yeah, but it is. It definitely AO3 is. Has new. like taken everybody's attention by storm. So like, it has. even if you're new, you're gonna quickly move on to the other one. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was published first April fourth, and then again April eleventh in twenty seventeen. And I pretty much. I have like a vague but pretty clear memory of like where I was. <laughs> oh my god, really? That's fair. That's so funny. Yeah, I was at my sister's apartment. <laughs> that's so funny. That you remember when you read apartment. it? That's so yeah. that's so funny. Yeah, and I think oh, no. it's really cute. Do I have to reset it's... my password? Oh, I might have to reset no. my password. <laughs> Sorry, keep talking. Okay. I'll uh, I'll continue uh, to do I mean, this. It's not, it's not that important. I feel like we can go off of the AO. Yeah, I mean no. the AO3 statistics are probably more of where people are watch are watching. More people are reading anyway. More so, eyeballs. Yeah. Yeah. More eyeballs more of there. Eighteen twelve. <laughs> you know, you know, you've made it when you hit the quadruple digit. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, I really love the full circle moment because we we met through. Your your fic, yeah. Uh, yes, like, we did. Morgan Morgan um publicized the shit out of this. On she Tumblr. did, <laughs> or he did, did. Excuse me. And that was the first time I knew of your existence. And then <laughs> then you posted like uh, a character sheet of Wilbur or whatever. Yes, I did. I did. And make then that. you DM'd me. And then we started talking about like that science show with the puppets. I can't remember what it's called. Oh my called. god! But I never, I never watched it. But you watched it. Science show with anyway. puppets. Yeah, there's like a puppet robot guy. Oh, Mr. Science Year Three Thousand! Yeah, <laughs> that's another one of my passions. Oh my god! Yeah, and then How did I for, forget like, that. The next year we were just yemming each other head cannons <laughs> robinson yeah we were we were we were many, doing that like crazy them, <laughs> many of them were like not safe for work or they were not oh uh, yeah compliant they were like really wild uh, <laughs> good times good times also fun because we've never reviewed an ao3 story before so another thing we get to add to this is the ao3 tags so we got yes basic character tags Basic plot tags, and then characters all grown up. Wilbur is super gay, but not very sad because that's weird. Wired. Feel good vibes. I hate making tags sometimes. Yeah, I always, I never know what to do when I tag things. Oh, also, uh, this mm. was part of a series. Part one of TRD's Mr. Robinson's University. Yes, it is uh, a part of a series. It's more, it's less of a series and more of a collection, honestly. Because, like, they're not, like, in any order. They're just kind of... 
And honestly, I mean, to some extent, my ideas for my Meet the Robinson, like, ideas have kind of changed so much over the years that, like, it might not be appropriate for me to say that um, they are all contiguous. What are some of the major ideas that changed? Um, well, I think because I've thought so much about my current in-progress fic, um, I think some of the characterizations and some of my ideas that I've had um, Mm -hmm. from previous fics um, might not carry over to... uh, I might make some changes. I've also been sort of um, debating whether or not I want to sort of re-upload more polished versions of the chapters I already have up of the many X's Wilbur Robinson, but like that's that's an idea I'm f- I'm mm. I'm, f- I'm yeah, f- uh, I see, I see a lot of authors who plan to update their fic um, by like re- rewriting certain chapters and stuff, which mm-hmm. you know I never think is a bad idea because I always think you know you can only get better, you know. Of course, but yeah. I've rarely seen people actually finally go through with it, and then the one time, one time I think uh, Nerf Herder she like edited her whole thing. She didn't rewrite it, but she edited mm-hmm. it, and she's like, I hope my writing style is drastically different, and I was like, I didn't notice. Oh my god. That's <laughs> so sad. <laughs> I literally Whoa. didn't notice that much changes. Oh my like, god. I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing. Be consistent. <sighs> anyway. Ooh, excuse um, me. Mm. Yeah, so any... Any plans for a fourth installment of TRG's Meet the Robinson's Universe? Oh, uh, well, uh, that would probably depend on if slash when I finish the one I'm currently working on. Because um, the other idea that I have for um, my own uh, works, I would definitely not be in the same universe. It would definitely be different. Like, mm-hmm. it would be a separate canon. So, okay. I don't know. <laughs> there might be uh if i get a good idea for something that fits within my that particular uh series then sure (coughs) but for now um no (laughs) double vision type thank you i don't know what happened i think something was wrong with my throat and i don't know what's up oh damn characterization is something that we're gonna talk about yeah i'm um, sure you have a lot to say about that (laughs) yeah so, the story, uh, I guess, summary of the plot, uh, if, if sure. it's not already obvious from the summary, uh, it's been a decade since the end of the movie, and Wilbur is in his 20s, and he decides to time travel to talk to his father, just because, you know, yep. just because he's a sentimental little, little lad, I guess. <laughs> it's like a nice little reunion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so I guess I'll just get into it. So the number one thing that I noticed while I was reading this in 2017 mm-hmm. was that it was very detailed and there were so many, so many very specific words. The exact thing I thought was that, oh boy, this author has like a word for everything. Their, ver- their vocabulary is so good. <laughs> oh, thank like, you. Yeah, and like I always think that I can't, I can't describe stuff. 
either go too hard or too loose on the descriptions. And I remember I went down a deep rabbit hole because I was trying to describe um, the gap between the door and the floor. Oh, yeah. And I was sure that there was a word out there that existed. I'm like, I'm sure Alyssa would know what the word is. So I looked it up for like, I don't know, like at least 20 minutes mm-hmm. until I finally gave up and I rephrased it to the point where I didn't need a word. And then also looking back on it, that entire scene just doesn't exist in the work anymore. <laughs> That's how it goes. But, yeah, it really does. But yeah, it's so satisfying to read knowing that you're in the hands of an author who knows how to describe stuff because uh, I think I mentioned this before, but there's this one author who will go because the fic that they wrote is like really recent-ish, but mm-hmm. they didn't know the word for lost and they were trying to describe Wilbur's dead and they couldn't and it was so painful to mm-hmm. watch them struggle. And yeah, yeah. It's just nice, like the roof flip or the line of sight, you know. Yeah. And uh, in the, this fic takes a lot of time to describe the settings and a lot of really nice imagery details that would often go overlooked in many other fics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, mm-hmm. What? Well, no, I'll, I'll continue letting you talk. Again, okay. I've, um, I'm trying to be careful about what I say because I... I, I, as the author, I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to, I mean, I don't, 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 don't want to inject commentary. my, I don't want to inject my authorial intent too much into my work, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I mean, sense. I got all my notes down, so I don't think my point of view is going to change too much. Right. You know? That makes sense. But I, I have some quotes here, so. Okay. I just kind of, like, it's all, like, nice little detail-oriented stuff that really, like, elevates an otherwise ordinary scene in a really, really nice way. So, like, we're describing Cornelius's glasses, circular glasses perched on his nose with wide blue eyes behind them. I thought that was nice. Thank you. And then, ooh, one of my favorite details is that the restaurant they eat at it no longer exists, and it was replaced by a bike shop. But <laughs> Wilbur decides not to mention this. And I don't know. I thought that was really cool. It just, like, you know, these are, like, these really nice details that really ground you into the setting. Thanks. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, and then we're describing Wilbur's phone as a thin holographic sheet of glass, which was cool. Thanks. Hello? Hi, yeah, I said thanks. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, I couldn't hear you. Oh man, I really gotta like make out with my microphone then. Yeah, you gotta. I gotta, I gotta have, give it a long kiss. Don't leave room for Jesus. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really nice and clear, and you don't rely on overly descriptive or overly formal prose. It's simple and Thanks. realistic and emotionally engaging, and it's very clear from this writing that you are experience with writing yeah uh i noticed in a special like skill with short fiction as opposed to long fiction yeah so yeah kind of what people lean more towards when they're writing fan fiction anyway yes 
So just just to put some some context to what you're saying too, um, so I went to college and I took creative writing courses. So mm-hmm. I to some extent have uh, professional training, if you want to call it that. Oh um, yeah. And um, not to flex or anything, uh, but um, I do have a lot of practice writing poetry too so i if Mm -hmm. i were to guess why people feel that my descriptive prose is good it would probably be just because i you know wrote a lot of poetry and poetry kind of as an art form trains you to really value word choice like word choice matters a lot in a poem so yeah i think think that makes a lot of sense because in poetry like all poetry is is prose so you can't have weak prose or else you don't have a good poem no you know no you can't so, have like bad prose but it's like oh the meaning is this and this and this it's like no yeah and like That's obviously there are there are other elements to poetry that are important like flow and not flow flow is more for rap um, yeah, I mean, I rap like is that poetry. Kind of, that's kind of part of the prose, though. Yeah, like, it, prose can be subdivided into several different categories. Yeah, kind of like the the, the rhythm, the rhyme, mm. white space. Ooh, you know Ooh, that kind of stuff. All the terminology. <laughs> like all, like there's so much that's involved in poetry that's j- more than just um, you know the words themselves. So. But I would say that word choice is definitely super important in poetry, and I think my uh, experience with word choice and needing to decide where I how I edit words and really read words carefully, I think kind of translated to better prose writing, uh, better descriptive yeah. writing. I mean, yeah, and I have really appreciated learning more from this perspective because I tend to be very wordy. Yeah, I mean, I also do too. Like, I, I'll, I won't lie. I, you know, oh, a lot no, of times no. when it's I'm okay, we can call me out. It's okay. <laughs> when I um, when I edit stuff, I often end up uh, cutting out a lot of words. Um, and I mean, that's why I have our our bad bitch Diana Hacker. You know. <laughs> oh my God, Diana Hacker! <laughs> Continuing to plug Diana Hacker. <laughs> queen of grammar <laughs> well she's she's less of a queen because she does not acknowledge singular they as proper grammar which I it is I'll die on this oh. hill grammarians oh, <laughs> yeah, can that's don't even at me that. on this one grammarians all the grammarians who are listening to this podcast <laughs> but yeah that's like the only. That's the only. That's like the only thing about Diana Hacker that I'm like maybe not. Maybe don't don't listen. Like she suggests the dreaded his or her. Like no. Of grammar. No, exactly. his or her is heinous. Don't use his or her. His or her anyway. can never replace they. It no. literally uh-uh. cannot. The power of they versus his her. It's just. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah. Don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't use generic he. Don't use he he. Don't use he or she slash him or her. Use they, them. Singular they them. Oh my god, generic he is the worst. Generic he I'm, sucks. I'm reading a book that was published also, in the 70s and it uses one, a lot of generic. Don't he use one. One so is stilted. Don't do that. Sorry, Just use what? they. Sorry. Uh, no, I'm saying some people you try to use one, like when one, like when one does this. I kind of like that sometimes. 
It yeah. can be playful. So yeah, I no, think, you can. It, it has its If you uses. want to sound normal, you don't use that. No. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's a very old-fashioned mm-hmm. way of going. But yeah, I think it's like really, really, you really sharpen your writing skills on the prose side. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah I really, I really, um, I think that's kind of where I shine. I'd say that's probably, if I'm going to evaluate myself, that would be probably where my my uh, skills really are. So, um, yeah. And that kind of comes through in the things that I write. Um, and also, uh, when I was in um, classes, I would do short stories was the, was the big thing we did. So one-shots are very easy for me to write. Um, and I think, honestly, I feel like one shots are a really good good way to write practice writing because it teaches you how to finish an idea <laughs> like write it oh. start to finish do your drafts and then public you know calling I mean? me out here that's that's i mean yeah it's well, well yeah. i'm calling you out and i'm also calling me out too because like i also have works in progress that are languishing in the drafting phase um but Funny, to me i, I think that never finished anything except the stuff i had to do for school but those weren't good yeah yeah so i think i think what's nice about one shots is that it kind of forces you to really really just pump them out and and finish them um yeah uh, there's there i've i've read a lot of different perspectives on the difference between short stories and novels and novellas etc and none of them like neither are, are better than the other they're so drastically different and you have to put yourself in like a totally different mindset. But I think if you're just starting out the yeah. smaller scale, the short story will be less intimidating in general. But uh, I think the thing with uh, me and some other writers is that the big hurdle isn't isn't being intimidated by big stories, but it's just not mm-hmm. having a lot of skills and organizational wherewithal to edit stuff. So you kind right. of, you, you're not very decisive about what's important and what's not important, and that's kind of what you need with a short story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then this story also has something really, really, really great that almost, I can't say no fics, very few fics have. And as I mentioned earlier, a lot of fics are just going to start with a line of dialogue at the very beginning. And I used to think yeah. that was kind of cool back when I thought it was rare. But it is so common that I'm just like, no, sin, 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 <laughs> confess. Sin, yeah. Sin. So anyway, it has a great hook, and thank you. I think it perfectly exemplifies your love of dramatizing the mundane, and it's thank really, you. really great. That I'm, I'm gonna read it, even though. <laughs> okay, go for it. Payphones in his time were mythical things, so it seemed unreal that Wilbur Robinson standing in front of one, heaving quarters into the money slot. Great! Amazing! (laughs) And then, uh, overall, again, there's a lot of detail, and there's a lot of thought that got put into the world building. And I think one of the first things I noticed about the summary is that it says that this is Wilbur's second time going to the past. So unlike a lot of stories, Wilbur isn't frequently visiting Lewis. In yeah. this story, this is the literal second time. So, mm. it's kind 
of nice because it simplifies everything and it also makes this visit like a huge deal for Wilbur. So mm -hmm. it makes sense that Wilbur is caring so much. Yeah. Um, also, this line that I kind of like, everything considered, Wilbur had thought out his foray into the past more than he usually planned his days. And then... And then we and then we talk about um, interviews, tabloids, social media, and then we literally talk about Facebook. And I think I don't think anybody in the fandom has mentioned Facebook, but they have mentioned fax machines. <laughs> yeah. Um, I so I, I I guess also it's just kind of uh, author aside. If I'm allowed to, um, I guess the reason mm -hmm. why I, I wasn't, so when I was writing that, I feel like I put Facebook there. I, I, you know, I mean, there's two different well, implications. You seem like a Facebook family. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, whether or not Facebook still exists or exists in this universe, I, I mean, it does, but like, I kind of. I mean, I feel like a lot I mean, of people we would... never know how that Mark Zuckerberg trial is going to turn out. So. Yeah. So, like, I I feel like I, I wanted to try and leave it a little up in the air as to whether mm -hmm. or not, like, Facebook really... Like, because when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, like, I wasn't really thinking necessarily, oh, they still use Facebook. I mean, they might. But I was more thinking also of the fact that, like, even if Facebook doesn't exist in the future, um, then it would be, like, archived. Kind of like like MySpace, you know what I mean? Like you could maybe mm -hmm. you could maybe do searches for on those old sites and they're more preserved as sort of an archive. Um or like you know, like maybe Wilbur used the equivalent of the Wayback Machine to like find those posts. Um, yeah, it's like a virtual time machine. Yeah. Yeah. And so in general sorry, mm -hmm. go ahead. So I mean obviously it's kind of just a obviously I, I don't really think I thought about it that much when I wrote that line. Um, but, uh, I guess I also wasn't necessarily ruling out the possibility. Like, I, like, I, I kind of use Facebook more as just sort of a shorthand to be like, you know, mm -hmm. social media. These are the kind of posts you'd be looking at, that kind of thing. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I just liked how kind of decisively, uh, grounded in reality here. Because... Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of people in the fandom have an, the opposite take, where they want to go as fantastical as possible, and the characters even talk like they're from the 1950s. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all of this, you know, swell, groovy stuff going on. I know groovy is from the future, obviously, but there's some swell stuff going on. Um, but they don't push it enough to make it interesting, and they don't push it enough to make it really, like, a believable world. So it just mm -hmm. kind of hangs there limply, like a sad little world-building tree. Yeah. So I appreciate, like, the commitment, because I think it really works all together. And then there's even this Thank line. You. Wilbur had even made sure to uh, scrounge around the Robinson household for out-of-circulation coins past the year 2017. Like, ooh, dedication. Yeah. Um, and then... And then also there's the description of the city. Mm -hmm. So the city was a metaphor, yeah, metamorphosis, and the colorful, sinuous high-rises of the time were only slowly replacing the skyscrapers. Mm -hmm. And then 
And then they do have like a nice, um, a little bit of a sci-fi conversation. Oh my god, what is that time travel movie I always refer to? Oh. You can it do was, it. It was a cool movie, but it was too, it was a little too like up its own ass about the world building that it was kind of like a little exhausting. Mm. But it had a lot of like cool theories, I guess. Some of them were like totally random. Like if he traveled back in time, it turns out that he can't write properly and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Anyway, it's like these scientists accidentally made a time machine hmm. uh, when they noticed that the bacteria in the container, there was too much bacteria to be realistic, but the time machine moved forward in time, and that's what allowed them to discover way too much bacteria. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, anyway, I don't know so Cornelius movie, but... and... Sorry, what? I said, um, I don't know that movie, but... Uh, well, I'm not sure what you're talking about, but um, I believe you. Yeah, it came out in 2004, and I remember the end of the movie is one of the characters becomes rich, and he's running a warehouse in Quebec, and they're all speaking in French afterwards, and I'm like, this is random, but okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, anyway, so in, the, in this fic, that's just kind of like, tonally, I briefly got those vibes when they're in the diner and they're talking about the multiverse theory where every decision splits the universe into two yeah. depending on the decision that was made. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also, uh, this is probably one of the first fics I've ever read that had, like, coy sex jokes in it. <laughs> and I thought that was, like, so wild. I was like, damn. We just went there, didn't we? This really is 2017. I mean, yeah. look, they're in their 20s, and, I, you know, I kind of wanted... Because one of the things that got kind of frustrated me as an author and reading fanfic was I always felt like people made Neil kind of stuffy. Oh, my God. I uh, that. You know, as like, a, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad now kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, I mean, at this like point... He, he wants to live his life, too. Like, yeah, you know, and, and like, the other thing is, like, one... In this exchange, you know, I don't know if Neil would make this kind of joke to Wilbur, like, in the future, i.e. when he's Mm -hmm. his dad. But now, at this point, Cornelius is in his early 20s, and Wilbur is more just kind of a friend who's, like, kind of his child in, like, the abstract. And, you know, I kind of, again, I see see Neil as a kind of guy who, he does have a sense of humor, so I kind of wanted him yeah, to make this I kind really of sense like of humor, and I figured I figured this was kind of the I... the kind of humor he might yeah. have, you know, make this kind of joke of like, you know what, I am your dad, and I'm gonna milk it for as much as I can, and make you feel awkward because I can. So that was kind of my my approach and why I did that. Yeah, so I'm glad and, that people liked like, it. There's there's literally none of that in the fandom so much that the one that the sex joke that happened earlier was enough for me to like have my eyeballs pop out so it's when <laughs> Fran answers the phone and she's like sorry but Cornelius is busy right now maybe you should call back later <laughs> much later and then uh the phone's like something like a spider crawled up Wilbur's spine his mother wasn't saying anything directly but her tone was unmistakable and then and then oh and then uh and then she's just she's just kind of like milking it she's just very cocky where Wilbur imagines her tilting her head and squinting her eyes 
And then she said, somehow I doubt that when Wilbur asked to speak to Neil because it's important. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, was, it was so good. Thanks. Good stuff. Because even though Fran only shows up for like two seconds, um, the fandom, i.e. me, but also the fandom, are really starved for like any decent characterization of Fran where she's not like a housewife mm-hmm. or like this irrational boy crazy type of girl or yeah. somebody who's like irrationally angry all the time. Oh, that happens no all the nuance. time. Oof. There's no nuance. And like, yeah. there's like this like, you know, overtly confident, cocky version of Franny who like, like, you don't see her a lot, but you immediately imagine she has a bit more dimension. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And I love imagining that she says this to everybody when she's answering Neil's phone. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, chill. yeah, you know, I, I, I really did want to kind of make it a little vague as to how if, like, a, like, were, like, how sexual this is, it, it was, is it just mm-hmm. Franny teasing? Like, maybe, you know, it's possible that, like, Franny's just sitting in the room and she's just teasing whoever is on the other end and not really yeah, you know, like, actually doing anything know, naughty. They could be watching, like, a Charlie Brown special on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of wanted to keep it, you know, vague for that reason, too. But uh, on the other hand, you know, um, <laughs> I did enjoy, I did want the implication to be that she was implying, at the very least, that uh, they were uh, busy with some uh, adult activities. <laughs> And that uh, Wilbur had called during that time. Nice. And then, um, this next part, which is just when Cornelius answers the phone and he's described as annoyed but very calm. I'm just like, that's that's so good. It's just a nice paradox that seems to suit him very well. Yeah. Can't hear you. Are you saying? So? Oh yes, I was saying. I was just. I was agreeing. I was like, uh, yeah. Okay. You like? I literally can't hear anything sometimes. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put my nose right on my microphone. Hold on. Maybe I can. Uh. uh you have to marry your microphone, Alexa. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is this is this better now? Am I louder? Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Gotta adjust that stuff. Yeah, but anyway, I kind of like that because I think people go to extremes where Cornelius doesn't really have a backbone or mm-hmm. he is, like, weirdly bossy and aggressive, and it's like, mm-hmm. nuance. I'm begging you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then next thing, when we see Neil, Wilbur's kind of shocked at how young he looks, and he's described as, Still having yeah. a full head of shocking blonde hair that manages uh, managed to stick up like static electricity, and I'm wondering how do you envision like forty, fifty year old Neil to look like fifty plus year old Neil to look like? Um, I probably um he probably had honestly at this point um he's probably gone balding definitely. Ooh. Um, I did not 
I did not spend that much time when I, I'll be honest um, when I was writing this I did not really think that much about how older uh, 50 plus Cornelius looked I imagine <laughs> even if he's not super balding he probably has either mostly like it's like even yellow blonde yellow white hair or mostly white at this point too um, probably, probably like sort of a salt and pepper look. Only it's not. There's no pepper. It's just salt and whatever the yellow equivalent of pepper is. <laughs> salt and gray and yellow. Yeah. Appetizing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I kind of pictured more of like an Einstein, Tim Burton kind of thing going on, where it yeah. starts to become less perfectly straight and more like a little wavy. Mm. And as a result, it's just you know there's less keratin in there, so it's just kind of like drooping a little bit but it's not like straight down it's just like fanning out a little bit yeah i don't know i have a very hard time so i kind of picture him more as someone who like still has like a ridiculous amount of hair but it's Mm -hmm. like very weak and thin and gray yeah 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 so i i kind of i kind of because now that i'm rereading that yeah i guess i did was thinking that like Neil probably doesn't have a full head of hair anymore, or at least if he does, it's not very thick. It's probably kind of, you know, balding and kind of thin. Because, you know, most people's hair is thin out as they age, so... Yeah, she's even, thick. Even if, even if Neil doesn't bald, he probably would still be thinning. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know. And I, and I did, because I did really want to impress the idea that, like, if you went back in time to look at someone who you've known your whole life and you went back to the past then you would notice immediately oh wow they're much younger you know so i did want to make sure that that was because i feel like some fics don't really acknowledge that dissonance like like they'll they'll yeah, kind of just don't even acknowledge that i mean i guess it's part of that is because part of that maybe is because wilbur you know maybe because he time travels so much that he kind of doesn't see them as the same person um but i don't know i just felt like considering the situation that wilbur's in specifically for this fic as well i think it made sense to yeah like like i i had him like part of the reason why i had wilbur just why i described how cornelius looked in this scene wasn't necessarily just to make people because everyone knows what Cornelius would look like. It was more because I thought, well, Wilbur would notice these things because he's seeing his dad as a younger version of himself for the first time in years. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to be a, a big shock to someone. So Yeah, I think in this thing you do have to remind people that in this universe, Wilbur isn't constantly visiting Neil. Yeah. Because it's such, it's such a norm in fandom. It, it is. <laughs> that... You know, you kind of have to keep bringing it up. But, yeah. Yeah, I like this detail. It's nice. Thank you. And I do think that when people write the time travel stories, at least in the Robinson universe, but also sometimes in fandom, mm-hmm. they forget really basic details. Like, for some reason, the fandom is not Franny doesn't recognize Wilbur or that present-day Franny doesn't recognize Luke. Mm. How perfect are your memories? Yeah. In order to recognize these people, they would have to have, like, impeccable memories. Yeah. And, like, also, like, as far as Franny, older Franny, not recognizing Lewis, 
I think the other thing to realize is that even though the time machines are something that the Robinsons are aware of, it's not like anyone's using them, at least to their knowledge. So why would they, when they, if Wilbur brings home a friend, why would they automatically assume, oh no, it's someone from the past? They'd be like, oh, it's just some kid, you know? Yeah, I think after, realistic idea, what if after the, the events of the movie, Wilbur brings home a totally innocent friend, but they're like, holy shit, that's like the child version of Petunia. <laughs> that would be a really funny, funny story. But they don't say anything, but it's like this unspoken tension in the air. And the oh my god. Wilbur's friend is like freaked out. That would be really funny. Amazing. Okay, fun line of dialogue here when Wilbur asks, why Wilbur? Yeah, when Cornelius asks Wilbur why he's here, he says he sure me wasn't available. Cornelius, Cornelius, oh, you, see, there's there's a lot of punctuation errors here. Cornelius's cheeks paled suddenly. Am I dead? <laughs> and I really like that because a lot of this has Neil be dead, and that's like the twist. Yeah. One that they did it really well. <laughs> and I love that this fix does not do that and then it also just celebrates the fact that it doesn't do that like i felt that burn thanks is that is that is that what the intention was um i don't know if i caught the all of what you were saying could you repeat what you said sad um so in the line of dialogue when Neil is like, future me wasn't available, am I dead? And I'm assuming that that's like a reference to all of the numerous fics where the twist of the story is that Neil was dead in the present. Um, yes and no. I I mean, I definitely have read fics where that's the twist. Um, you know, whether it was like, I remember that being a thing from like when I was younger reading uh, fics as they were being posted. But I also think... Um, I also was, was thinking, too, in terms of sort of how I would imagine Neil would be processing this. Like, you know, Wilbur hasn't seen him. He hasn't seen Wilbur in a really long time. And I think Neil, you know, his personality would be this sort of the type to think, I would only use the time machine in really severe circumstances. So I think in his mind, it would make sense that, like, you know, you know, Wilbur's here, he wants to talk to me, but why would he want to talk to me when in theory I exist in his time? And then and then that sort of leads him to jump to, am I dead? Because if you're, you know, to him, I think it would make logical sense for, oh no, Wilbur came to me, this version of me, mm. because the version of, of me in the future is dead and yeah. he can't talk to him. Yeah, I, um, I see that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, in terms of their characters, because mm -hmm. we have a lot of really great uh, characterization here. In, and then in this line, uh, Wilbur is speaking, aiming for a jovial tone to break up the ice, but Cornelius spoke first. So Wilbur is just trying to, like, catch casual and joke around because he's uncomfortable. And yeah. Neil is just very serious and direct. <laughs> nice. Thanks. And then and then I like what I really love when they joke around. That's that's what makes this fix so memorable. It's just like uh 
Wilbur says something super sarcastic, and Neil is just like, I guess I have your sass to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> Again, I I think part of my goal here was I, I really wanted to portray a Neil that was, you know, a young guy, right? Like, I, I, I really, yeah. as much as I like dad Neil, I feel like, you know, at this point, again, at this point in his life, he's not a dad. He And even if he is a dad, you know, like, like my dad is, you know, kind of sarcastic and makes, you know, jokes around with me, yeah, too. You don't lose your personality. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I mean, it's weird because Lewis in the, in the, uh, in the movie is not as sarcastic as he is in this fic, which I, I can see someone maybe being like, mm, it doesn't really feel like him, but... I also feel like, you know, Neil in this version, he's he's in a different stage in his life. He's not as worried about things as he was yeah, when he was in the orphanage. Yeah, he's more carefree. But yeah. Both and Cornelius, you know, both at both times in his life, he's always just very serious and cynical. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's all relative because he is also very optimistic. Yeah, and and I also, you know, I still wanted to retain the fact that he is very serious and science-minded, which is why I have him, you know, make sure he asks, like, what's going on? Why are you here? This is not uh, necessarily the best idea. Um, You know, still have responsibility. I still wanted that to be there. So I hope that I sort of was able to... Yeah, and I like how how Neil calls him a peer and not like a friend. (laughs) Yeah, which... To me, like, I had him call Wilbur Calm a peer because I don't think Wilbur would have thought of Neil as a friend in the same way he might think of his friends back in the future as friends, if that makes sense, especially if in this no, but universe. No, doesn't... Oh, hang on. Hang oh, on. I, oh, oh, wait, no, it's, 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 it's Neil, Neil who calls him a peer. Wilbur a peer, yeah. Right, yes, never mind. That's, I, think, I think the other way around would not work. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. Yeah. I'm I'm confusing myself. Uh, oh. Pay attention to my story. My story's better. I'm I suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't do as you say. Do as you do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we got we got we get the sense of humor of like all the characters, all three of them, <laughs> and then we also get like just like some nice seriousness, and we get, like, some nice vulnerability, and then briefly, um, this line, Wilbur can describe how Cornelius' face changed, but it softened, yeah, it softened, are you married, she asked, and I, I really like that, because it kind of shows their, their different views on, like, relationships and marriage, because I do think that Cornelius is more conservative and traditional than Mm -hmm. Wilbur. Yeah. And so he would assume, hey, if you're in a committed relationship, this would eventually, all roads lead to marriage. Yeah. And Wilbur isn't Mm -hmm. really thinking about that. Yeah. Which is nice. And then, of course, we come to the, are you using protective (laughs) jokes? Look, Uh, that was, that was like, (laughs) I really, I was really happy to be able to use that joke. Because I really wanted, um... I think my favorite joke in this whole fic is what is that exchange. It's like he 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 follows up this like like it's almost like I almost kind of imagine it as like Wilbur like Neil like asks a sort of stock question that like Wilbur 
expects Neil to ask in some ways when he's asking about his relationship. And then he totally disarms him by just being like, so are you fucking? And, and, and uh, Wilmer's like, what? The way that Neil asks, though, it's like, it's, I like that he has like a very dry sense of humor. Yeah. He's, he's definitely joking. Yeah. He's, his delivery is so good. <laughs> and it, it's also in character that you could interpret that as him being serious. And I think in some yeah. ways he kind of is. Mm-hmm. But, like, he's he's also not asking, you know? Yeah, like, like he's... He part of it is, him. you know, sort of playing it... Part of the joke is him playing into the fact that this he's Wilbur's, Wilbur's father, and that's a very fatherly thing to ask. Um, and I think on some extent, Neil does, you know, hope and wish that Wilbur is, you know, practicing safe sex. But at the same time, I also definitely think that Neil's motivations here are more, I want to make fun of him and, and kind of make Wilbur feel a little, like, I want I want to rip him a little bit. Like, I think that's more Wilbur, Neil's aim here than rather than seriously asking Wilbur, hey, are you using protection? Although, yeah. you know, I think that is something that Neil would want to know, I guess. To some extent, maybe not yeah, really. I think, I, I think my interpretation is that this is something that Neil clearly cares about, mm-hmm. but they're not really there to actually have that discussion, and he knows that, so he's just teasing him. Yeah, that's. I think that's that's kind of what how I in, hoped it would come across too. Um, was that was sort of the intent there, and then I was yeah, able I, to I have. How Wilbur tries to distract him, and that doesn't work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So he's, um, he's like forced to actually answer it. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I again, I really, I really do, and I also think part of it too is, is I, I really liked playing with the idea of Wilbur and Neil, and Neil still, even though they know each other, they don't really know each other as well as they might in other timelines. And mm-hmm. I think that kind of allows Wilbur to be kind of disarmed a little bit. Um, you know, like, I think it's di- it would be different for him talking to this version of Neil versus, you know, the one that's in his time. And I think I think Neil is kind of... I think the fact that... Like, I, like I, think, I think basically here, Neil is sort of taking advantage of the fact that Wilbur knows him really well. If that makes sense, like, like, uh, Neil? like, uh, that Neil Wilbur, very... yeah, Neil's taking advantage of the fact that Wilbur, because Wilbur thinks of Neil as his father, yeah, there are certain things that he would expect, but since Neil doesn't see Wilbur that way, at least at the moment, again, in the, again, in like a concrete way, I think it yeah. allows Neil to be kind of to disarm Wilbur in ways that maybe he wouldn't be able to be disarmed when interacting with his dad in, in the future. Um, yeah, it's a really so. great opportunity that is afforded by this premise and even yeah. this fandom to just play around with how the relationship changes when they meet each other at different ages. Yeah. And it's really fun. Yeah. It's so fun, guys! But yeah. Um, and then... Uh, and then... And then we start to get all, all mushy. Yep. Uh, and then, so Neil is asking, is there anything you would have changed about the way you grew up? Suddenly Cornelius looks smaller, deflated in the seat across from him. And then, and then Wilbur says, 
says, like, oh, no, my childhood was great. And then Neil gets kind of frustrated. He's like, then why aren't you telling me what I did wrong? <laughs> and then Wilder's, like, suddenly surprised to see Neil, like, angry, I guess. Uh, it's, it's so in character as well. Cornelius <laughs> uh, is very, like, performance-focused. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I, part of the reason, I think one of the things I was trying to go for here, too, is that not only did I want Neil to kind of have, like, a sense of humor, but I also wanted to kind of imply that, um, sort of the flaws that he has in the first movie, are, or in the, in the movie, I mean, are things yeah. that he still might struggle with. Um, yeah, so this is the official sequel, but... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'm happy that you, you consider this like canon. <laughs> Very uh, yeah, flattered. Honestly, this would be like the one of the first fics I would suggest to people who really want to meet yeah, really want to read Meet the Robinsons fic just because it's just a nice transition, I guess, into the fandom. Oh, thank you. You know? Also it's set like right after the movie. So it is, cool. yeah. Like it's it really, it does really, I do put in a lot of references to the movie, if that makes sense, like, very directly. Um, mm-hmm. And I do that purposely, to some extent, because this thick sort of um, premise is that Wilbur is coming to Cornelius to talk to him about that time in the past. So referencing that keeps with the tone. And also, part of the reason why I make all the references is because like, sort of the meta context of this fic is that I wrote it specifically for the 10th anniversary of MTR. So I kind of put in those callbacks also to sort of, it, sort of to make reference yeah. to that context as well. Um, but I tried to make sure those references didn't seem out of place or weird yeah, you, from within the story. It. It, it fit in very <laughs> seamlessly, which is nice. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, neutral comment, in this piece of dialogue, I can hear your actual speaking voice a little bit. <laughs> speaking. He says, I'm sorry it was like that. I can't say I can speak for my future self directly. To be brutally honest, I don't know you as well as my future self does. But from the two times I met you, uh, and then, I don't know, it keeps going. But, yeah, I, I, can, I can just feel your actual speaking voice. well you know i mean what's nice about neil sometimes is that i know i as you've kind of alluded to i'm i'm very verbose naturally Mm -hmm. so i think since neil very formally yeah since since neil (laughs) mostly just because i feel like i don't know slang kind of sometimes feels weird in my mouth like it feels it feels a little like i'm trying too hard (laughs) Yeah, I can I can relate to that, but I think I was more formal, like pre twenty twelve kind of. Yeah, when I was younger. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think, like, I mean, like, I don't think I've reached the golden standard of dialogue where I was able to yeah. make Wilbur and Neil's dialogue sound completely different. I think that if you were to just kind of remove yeah, all the prose, really love about their dialogue, but there's a lot I would, you know, personally, so a little bit. I, I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and so, and I, and I freely admit that, like, I think if there's anything that I need to work on in terms of dialogue, it's probably like making voices sound distinct. Um, and yeah, um, I think. Well, I think first, even before that, number one is to make your voices sound more naturalistic because sometimes they just sound very rigid and uptight, and sometimes I think it's just because you're used to like reading and like that mm-hmm. but coming from different characters it starts it, uh, it sounds a little unnatural yeah not to sound oh no you're okay the real way that you speak you're <laughs> i don't think there's it... anything wrong with that but uh no no you're fine in another character's voice it starts mm. it starts to become a little odd so like even just having more uh contraction you know yeah and then like being essentially more minimalist like that's and like as general advice that's the number one thing that anybody can do to improve their dialogue is like whatever you think you need to write just cut out half of it and then it will be better yeah no that's definitely a big thing um is like when you're line line editing it's just to like remove filler Mm -hmm. if you can because i mean there's a lot like sometimes you might read like a draft and then you're like I can't cut anything and then like you put it away for a week and you look at it and you're like oh man there's so much I can cut you know so yeah, yeah I definitely I guess what I will say is that I I would say that like Neil what's nice about Neil is that because he's naturally kind of more formal than Wilbur I'm kind of I don't feel as much of like, I, I can kind of not be so aware of exactly the voice because sort of my natural voice lends itself to that um tone um but with wilbur i'd say i need to be a lot more on point in terms of like he needs to sound like he's not me (laughs) so um yeah yeah. you can like even invent slang for wilbur because he's like yeah i could what comes after gen z Oh, freak if I know. Yeah, I have someone, no idea. Someone sent me an ask, and they like named a new, not a new gender, a new generation. And oh like, wow! Is that what we're calling them? Oh my god! I feel old. What? Oh my god! Let me try and find it. Oh my gosh! Shout outs to that ask. I think <sighs> it might have been uh, Gracie Dancer who has a. Uh, oh oh yes. God. What's her name? Ma- the the a Mabel icon. Yes, so yeah. I just kind of associate that person with Mabel now. I think my phone yeah. is just very slow, though. Well, we'll, mm. we'll get back to that, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in general, the, the whole thing about dialogue is that the way that real people speak is, mm-hmm. like, super boring and not actually entertaining and sort of transcribe it ex- yeah. into your story would sound terrible. So don't yes. do that. But I think a lot of advice is always starts out with, like, listen to how real people speak. And then either the advice goes on to say, but don't actually write bad story, or <laughs> the advice just doesn't actually go into, like, what to do with dialogue. Yeah. How to edit it down to be part of the story. Because your story is just a miniature version. So it's the same thing with dialogue. So dialogue is, like, a symbol for real speech and it's a symbol for your character's motivation so yeah they don't actually have to say everything mm. mm-hmm. excuse me 
Anyway, one one good dialogue book I would recommend is the one by Rob McKee, and he's very minimalistic because I think the title is just called Dialogue. There you go. Um. Anyway, and then on that note, uh, this has been really nice to bit because we're we're continuing with our theme the characters being all uh, mushy and vulnerable. So uh, Neil speaking, I can tell that you care a lot about doing things right. You see here. A contraction would have been nice. You are also very... You did try to play yourself off as a member of some secret agency when we met, which I think was a, was a really good, like, down of Wilbur's character, as well as Neil's sense of perception. Mm-hmm. And, you know, normally I would think this veers a little bit too on the nose, but, like, the tone of the scene is so earnest that it does seem to... Yeah, um... It is, yeah, I do think it's a very fair criticism. Um, yeah. I guess part of the, also the reason why I might have been too on the nose is also because, you know, it was, it's a short story and I wanted to sort of have that moment um, there. Um, mm-hmm. But, because like, you know, the story was ending and I wanted that to happen at the end. And so I guess what maybe could have had, what I could have done better was maybe try and make that earnestness feel more earned so that it's not, so the on the noseness makes more sense but um you know yeah i mean i think this particular line is fine it seems to really work and mm-hmm. cool. i don't know you kind of phrase wilbur's character in like a fun perspective thank you and and then another line that was pretty that was very cute is when neil is like you know wilbur you were the first person that ever truly believed in me and i was like oh <laughs> <laughs> well, what I actually wrote is dialogue like this has me talking like a super hulog fan for 2012. I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I do think that beyond this point, it's it's kind of a little bit, just a little bit, just a tiny bit. It's a little bit what? Beyond this point, it, it starts to become a little bit much i think like we, we've mm. already established what we needed to establish so right anything beyond this point might be overkill okay no that's i mean that's pretty fair um i can see how so, that would drift into melodrama real fast so yeah here's, here's <laughs> this one where cornelius elaborates on this yes but not only with my inventions they always failed before the memory scanner yet you insisted that i could actually make it work even when all the evidence pointed to the contrary, which is quite a way to say that, you still believed in me. And, like, it's not unbelievable that this would happen and that Cornelius would say that, but reading that kind of dilutes the tone a little bit. Mm. No, no, that's very it's fair. Yeah, no, I know. You know, we've seen the movie, so we know what's happened and stuff, so I think... Mm. Dialogue is a lot about saying things indirectly. Yeah. Which can be hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm like your own personal uh dialogue. Yeah, you're like clippy, but like Boots. not as annoying and more helpful and also specifically about dialogue. Oh yay, I'm a helpful clippy. Yeah. <laughs> I, found, I found the ass, so it was actually Liz. Uh, oh okay. Uh, Libby's cute URL thing. And, oh yeah. Uh, Liv says 
that Wilbur will be an alpha beta generation cusper and as a millennial I feel sorry for him. Oh my god. <laughs> so he's not a new Wilbur isn't a new generation say, but he is a quote unquote millennial. And I'm like, I guess that works. <laughs> sort of. Oh man. Uh, anyway. Time, am I right guys? I know. And then um, yeah, and then on top of this, Neil explains even more stuff. So he goes on to say, my point is that you'll always be important to me, not just because you are my son, but because you are my friend as well, which I think we as well, we could leave that. I owe yeah. you so much. So, like, there's there's a lot that I like. You know, I like the sentiment, but I think the, the vehicle could have been refined a little. Yeah. You know? No, that's that's very fair. Um, I mean, something that I, I will say, just from a more of a authorial background behind the scenes perspective, is that I'll, if I'm honest, I mm -hmm. I don't think I really um did that many drafts for this fic. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily like like. I mean, I I'm not gonna say that I like shit this out. You know, as like a quickie or anything like that. I definitely feel like I put effort. A good amount of effort mm -hmm. into writing it but i also don't necessarily think i i was like super meticulous in terms of like editing and uh plotting and all that other stuff in the way that i might have been for a project i had a lot more like um i don't know if uh, enthusiasm makes it makes it sound like i i was bored of this project like I guess a better way to put it yeah. is that, you know, I kind of wrote this more as like a kind of cute little celebration of MTR's 10th anniversary. And I didn't necessarily write it because I had this like really strong idea that I really wanted to put on the page. Like that wasn't necessarily the inception point for the mm -hmm. fic, if that makes sense. And so I yeah, think because there are, of that... There are a lot of authors who are just writing fanfiction very casually mm -hmm. and like... You know, that's, that's sometimes why I don't go into too much detail when I critique stuff, but nonetheless, I go into a lot of detail even when I'm doing that anyway. <laughs> it's hard, it's hard but, to, uh, it's hard to avoid. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess... I did, I did notice that there's like a more than normal amount of punctuation typos, but uh. some of them were bad enough to like ruin the flow of the story, but they were like, they were there. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed them too when I'm looking through it, and it's like one of those things where like you didn't see it when you were when I had the document open, but when I publish it, then it's like, oh no, all the all the errors are jumping out at me. I know. <laughs> Dang I it. Publish things like pretend publish. Oh yeah. Like, the things you notice after you publish are incredible. Like it's like magic. Yeah. Like, so I always try to be like. What is the first thing I'm gonna be ashamed of having written after it's published? But like, it's never, it's never the same as when I actually published it. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so basically, yeah. my my whole um, uh, what was I trying to say? So like, basically, what I'm trying to say is that like, I think had this been a project that I was like, had like this really deep concept of, and I had like a lot of like desire to really get it out and it wasn't specifically for a specific like event that i was doing like just kind of to to, to commemorate mm -hmm. something i mm -hmm. think i might have 
done a bit more drafts and I think it might have turned out a little bit more polished. But okay. I think because I didn't like really do as many edits as I probably should have, I think it suffered for that reason. So yeah. <laughs> uh, basically the lesson here is, uh, uh, you know, do the do your yeah, edits. And, and don't skimp we, on them. <laughs> we we don't uh, we don't blame you. You know, fun at the end of the day, but I yeah. still roast you. So <laughs> hey, cool. So the number one thing, number one thing is that sometimes the story feels just a little bit aimless. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not a major problem with this story. But like you can kind of. You can kind of tell, especially, like, I don't know, I think it's especially near the end, or, like, yeah. It, like, it just kind of peeks through, and mm. then you can kind of ignore it. Um, I think, uh, especially because we've worked on stuff together, so I'm I'm privy to a lot more than just this bit. Oh, yeah. So I know that this is something that you kind of struggle with outside of this one story. Yes. It's not specifically aimed at this story, Mm -hmm. but I do know that you kind of struggle with bigger premises and stories that have, like, bigger plots and bigger conflicts. Mm -hmm. So your your zone of comfort is definitely in the short fiction world. Yeah. More precisely (laughs) in the slice-of-life fiction world. Because mm. I think if you had a clearer premise, like it doesn't have to be like a big one, but if I feel like there's got to be one, you yeah, know? I think mm. there would be, there would have been like certain tweaks that would have been that would have like really sharpened it a lot better. Because, like I said, you're very detail oriented, but sometimes that can be your downfall. <laughs> there were many details that were in here been like kind of distracting yeah so like the number one is uh in the summary you wrote that neil destroys the time machine for good in the present day and i remember even asking you about it because if you present that big thing right at the beginning that kind of like primes the reader for thinking that this is part of the part of the whole premise of the story, et cetera, et cetera, but then it's kind of not really addressed. It's kind right. of just like a loose motivation for Wilbur to time travel, but yeah. he kind of didn't really need that necessarily. So yeah, it's just kind of unnecessary and distracting, mm. but I'm speaking as someone who's easily distracted. So I don't <laughs> know, but I feel like this catching distraction. Yeah, no, I I definitely see where you're coming from. You know, the destruction of the time machine is a fairly huge deal, you know, especially considering the, you know, the fandom and sort of the, presumably the, the, the nature of the universe of the fic that I'm writing. You know, time travel is so important to it, so Neil destroying the time machine is kind of a big deal. And yeah, you are right. I, I, kind I of did... a tone. It's, it's, it's like a bit of a tonal dissonance because Neil mm. destroying the time machine hints at like a bigger sci-fi complex thing that motivates Neil to do this when actually it's just nothing's happening. Right. Yeah. And I, I do think that, you know, if I were to go back and rewrite this, I'm, you know, maybe I would have tried to find a, a reason for Wilbur to time travel that wasn't destruction. 
Um, you yeah, know, maybe. Yeah, I think maybe. Because uh, one thing that does happen. Um, what's it called? Uh, it's the one where Neil dies, but it's like a good thing. Anyway, it's the one oh, by yeah. No, I know. It's the one by Demurray, right? No, it's the one by Amazon Aviator. It's like. Oh, yeah. Or something. Yeah, yes. Called? Oh, I know what the fic is. God damn anyway, it. It's that one. Amazon Aviator wrote really good stories, and then they also wrote one that was very questionable. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they the, did. In, in their fic, uh, they have the time machine. Uh, being entered into a museum, but it was like after Neil. It's in like yeah. the Tom Ford Museum or something. But anyway, yeah. Um, I think that could be like some glimmer of an idea, you know, like mm-hmm. instead of Neil destroying the time machines, he's just retiring them, or like right. he repurposes some of the parts for a different invention, especially considering using them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get on that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just making it less important so mm-hmm. that we don't think it's gonna come back later. Yeah. <laughs> and then, okay, I'm really, I'm really on the fence, like with myself about this one. So in the past, I said that maybe uh, George being Goob's son was distracting, but now I'm like, well, if, if George wasn't Goob's son, then maybe. That would also still be distracting anyway, so I'm not really sure which one is better. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure if this is even like a flaw, because I wouldn't know how to fix this if this were a flaw, you know? But right. This was a critique that I mentioned to you once before that, like, because George is Wilbur's boyfriend and he is the son of a character we all know and love, mm-hmm. beloved BHT with his. <laughs> disgusting teeth um, <laughs> that like that like I think the curiosity would like migrate from Wilbur to George to Goob you know and, right like, yeah how where are they now kind of thing but like right I, I don't know I don't know that's why yeah yeah you know I mean at the time when I wrote that wrote this fic I I sort of created this character more because I, again, I thought I thought it would be a fun callback to some sort of tropes that I had seen in other fix previously. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I hadn't I didn't really put much stock into sort of the idea of exploring it really in depth until um, my other projects. And I've kind of even now I'm kind of waffling back and forth if if you know the way. George is presented here is really the way I want him to be presented or if I want to sort of take his character in a different direction um, but either way um, I think that that criticism also is pretty fair you know like I did want yeah, I mean I part of the reason what I would replace this with though so that's why I'm criticizing my own criticism right <laughs> it, is, it is something that did kind of stand out and it mm-hmm. feels like it's a bit separate from Neil and Wilbur's reunion. Yeah. Um, I did really like that George is, like, super introverted, and he kind of doesn't listen to Robinson's because he finds them overwhelming, mm-hmm. which is, like, the exact opposite of Lewis, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, even though it's, like, comparable, I guess, because Lewis and Wilbur are 
Luke and George and Wilbur seem to be foils too because he's like introverted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I so so yeah. No, I I I'm not sure how I would rewrite it if I were to rewrite it, but I I definitely hear you in terms of your criticisms. So all, all yeah. very fair. <laughs> yeah, and I know you're open to constructive criticism. Of course. We have- we have many great roast sessions together. Oh, we do, don't we? We sure do. <laughs> um, yeah, so like I said, uh, it's kind of missing like one simple goal sometimes. And we're kind of being bombarded with a little too many details. Mm-hmm. And this problem occurs even on a prose level where basically we just have too much information. But right. like, you know, uh, there's just mm-hmm. like a lot of like extra words sometimes I find. Yeah. So like here in the sentence, Wilbur was lucky that he or that he hadn't crashed the thing yeah, his first time out. And then outside of fighting with his father leading to him tearing the wheel out i'm like well presumably anybody reading this in the movie so i don't think you need that extra bit at the end mm-hmm. and then even the small thing like his hometown city like i guess you can have a hometown that's a village but mm-hmm. i mean it's a town so it's we, we already know that it's a location and then yeah uh, in the prose Wilbur could putting together the building so this is another thing is that sometimes you the voice mm-hmm. which as we all know is, is a writer's cinema <laughs> yes it um, is <laughs> yeah and then this sentence he got at his father who was gazing at him like he hadn't just asked an extremely personal question so, first of all, uh, his father, uh, okay, and then was gazing, okay, and then and then that last bit, like, he had just asked him an extremely personal question. I think we can already gauge, like, what Wilbur's mindset is by his reaction, so we don't really need to add that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so the last, last prose. Uh, critique, prose roast. Ooh, that rhymes. There you go. Are you saying stuff because they can't hear you? Uh, no, I've just been kind of listening and sort of okay. going, yeah, and assenting. Okay. I'm just cool. letting you. I'm just. I'm just letting you take the floor, and then you know. Cool. And yeah, so last prose roast is that. Um, <laughs> so like I said about the euphemisms and the name dropping. So mm-hmm. in this fic, he comes very dangerously close to using the words his father, like, a little too much. Yeah. And on the one hand, like, maybe this is just to emphasize, like, Wilbur's point of view of Neil in the future. But then here there's, like, a very tiny uh, POV slip here. Cornelius exhaled his nose. In that case, Wilbur, he looked back at his future son. And I'm like... We could just repeat the word Wilbur mm-hmm. back at him. We could even repeat the pronoun him if it's clear enough who's who. Right. 
you know, just to have con to have the confidence that this will read clearly because otherwise it's very wordy and distracting. Yeah, no, that's very true. And and then okay, this is I think this is my last last big chungus. Sure. So and this this one is informed also by uh, what I know of you and your writing outside of this one fic, so I don't think it's super obvious here, but it does crop up elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So when you're characterizing Wilbur, I think you have a tendency to make him, like, a little too mature and a little too calm, thoughtful, and introverted compared to how he is in canon, mm -hmm. which is... A very rare problem to have. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a unicorn in that way. You are. It's like a premium problem. Yeah. But like, yeah, I think, I think I have the opposite problem where sometimes I'll make characters like a little too zany and just like a little too prone to conflict or whatever, and I'm, mm -hmm. and then you're basically just like, I mean, calm down. And I'm like, no, I won't. <laughs> and, and then I'm like, oh wait, maybe I should. But it's kind of the opposite because I think Wilbur is very. I think your version of Wilbur is refreshing because he's he is thoughtful and he is intelligent, and it's really nice to see that. But mm -hmm. he has another side to him where he's like silly and impulsive and quirky and just like plain weird. Yeah. And. I think that that side of him is the one that we don't really get to see as often in your fic. Yeah, I I think um, if there's anything that I would probably like to, you know, if I were to go back and write rewrite things, both this fic and some other fics that we might talk about at other times, who knows, um, would probably be just that I think I don't really lean into that zaniness um as much as i could and i think that that's you know a real shame and i, I definitely you know i think i'm it's within my I, i'm able or i'm capable of um yeah, you're you know totally making capable. a character that's really yeah. cool oh, like that work totally oh yeah <laughs> excuse me um but yeah i i i definitely think that you know i i think to some extent Part of it is, you know, I'm not really uh, taking the risks that I should be. And, you know, right. again, I, oh, I do think that, you know, this yeah. might have been something I could have, you know, realized or really put into oh. the work into had I done some more drafting, I think. I think yeah, that might have helped. That, uh, speaking of your, your risk taking, because I really like the realism and I think that it's compared to a lot of zanier stuff, it does feel like more grounded because that's all that's all everybody ever for a setting is to feel like they're really immersed in it. And you got yeah. all the all the details and stuff to back that up. But mm -hmm. Meet the Robinsons is a franchise that's all about the humor and the surrealism and the fantasy. So Yeah. Sometimes that doesn't come out quite as much, and sometimes that's not what you want, and sometimes in, as a fanfic author you're allowed to reinterpret things, mm -hmm. but I think you also don't want to dull out the flame of the original too much. No, no, definitely not. And um, on the risk-taking note, because this is a note I forgot to mention, but I think you're also, I don't know if this is still the case, but I think 
back when you wrote this and back when we were initially talking and DMing each other about I think yeah. you were like very afraid of OCs. And yeah. I think if you if you work if you make the OCs work for you properly, you don't have to be afraid of them because they are mm. a tool that can be used for good and evil. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, I I think I've um I think uh, over the years I've kind of turned myself around on OCs in fiction and um, or at least in fan fiction, I mean. And yeah, they can be they can be really really interesting and good and um uh you yeah, know, I see is just like you reinterpreting the world, expanding on what's already there. Yeah. And it can be really interesting, you know? Yeah, and I and I hope that like um you know, I think yeah, and I hope that like, you know, in the future I'll be able to really uh act you know, improve in that regard too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, this this last one is like super minor. Sure. Like, sure. But man, you you gotta learn how to type an M dash. Uh, yeah. You you're always on my case on that. I'm it's really telling you. <laughs> open open any word document. Right, right now? Oh right my now. god. <laughs> we're we're doing this right now, I guess. I am I am opening a word document. Okay, I have one open. Okay. Now press any letter. Uh-huh. Now press a dash twice. Yeah. And then press any other letter. Yeah. Did, did it turn into an M dash? <laughs> no. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> Do that again, but press any letter. Okay. What word are you on? I'm on, I'm on, win oh, there we go. I had to press enter, and then it went, and then it worked. Yeah. Usually I do a space T, but I've noticed it actually works on, like, any other T as well. If you keep typing, mm -hmm. it'll be like, oh, this person wants an M dash. <laughs> you did it! Yay! <laughs> the curse although, has been lifted. Although one thing I read uh, made uh, like really short dashes, but they put a space on either side of it, and I did find that kind of looked nice. But oh. Nothing can truly replace the drama of an M dash. <laughs> yeah. If I uh, also if I'm gonna call myself out on uh, um, on um, a little bit here. I will say I think I definitely use uh I definitely use too many uh, ellipses in this fic. Oh, I, I need to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of ellipses here. Um, actually. Yeah. yeah, I need to I need yeah. to diversify uh, that a little more. Yeah, because I think I think ellipses are really easy to add that empty negative space that we want. Yeah. And to like as like a tone indicator. Mm -hmm. And as we grow as writers, we have to find different ways to communicate that, lest we end up looking very stale and, like, one-trick-y. Because, like, I've done that, too. The ellipses yeah. are fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then, okay, I am kind of curious, because you were talking about, like, a comparison. So, like, on one hand... I'm kind of glad we didn't do that because it would have been a real 
Midnight Sun disaster, mm-hmm. even though I would have totally resonated. But if you were to do a companion piece in Neil's point of view, like, what would it be? Or would it just be, like, the same? Uh, yeah, I, I did... I did flirt with that idea, but in the end, I just kind of thought it would have been too repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it would have probably revealed more of, like, you know, what Neil was doing before yeah, what, he met with yeah, Wilbur. There would have been no mystery to what uh, Fran was alluding to. Yes. Earlier. There also was just kind of, like, you know what they say when people people are more titillating when they're not I, I can't remember what the expression is but like people like people are showing more when they're covered when they're yeah naked, yeah when they're like half naked it's like oh my god because like, yeah yeah part of the mystery is part of the the appeal yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i you know i thought maybe it would be a really interesting idea but then you know I figured, like, well, most of the fic will just be the same. Like, maybe the description and the prose might be different, but the dialogue and the trajection, tra- trajectory yeah. of the plot would be the same. So I was like, I don't really know if that's going to be that interesting to many people. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though that is something I have written here, I might, I have officially canceled that idea because I don't really think it's super interesting um yeah i do think it's a wise decision just because the story's so short there's not much else yeah it's you know it's not like uh to to, uh to point to a a really bad example it's not like uh you know uh uh 50 shades of gray from christian gray's perspective oh boy yeah like (laughs) like cornelius is no christian gray am i right no uh, anyways, so to conclude my review, fanfic, I would say that if the story were a dessert, it would be very, very expensive, and I would look forward to eating it every Thank you. Yeah, I, you know, I honestly, I, this probably, in my opinion, is definitely one of the best, if not, depending on who you ask, the best fanfiction I've ever written. Um, certainly, I don't think, as of right now. You know, I think I think I can definitely do better, um, as as always. Um, but as it stands, I I'm pretty proud of it. I continue to be blown away by how much support and engagement I've gotten with it over these four years that it's been up for people to read. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's been it's been a really long time, and um, it still gets a lot of kudos and all that stuff um yeah you're good publicity for the fandom man (laughs) yeah and uh you know i i always brag about this but it is currently still um you know one of the most kudos and bookmarked fix in in on ao3 in the meet the robinsons category which is uh, to me a pretty big achievement one day you will dethrone loving backwards. <laughs> if that ever happens, I I will I'll consider it a, a real we'll achievement pop, to my we'll name. We'll be popping them champagne bottles. Definitely, yeah. And I again, I'm I'm really I continue to be really blessed and thankful that so many people have been uh, interested in my work. 
Um, yeah, you know. And if if I didn't already know that you were working on stuff, I'd be like harassing you to write more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you would be. Like you gotta. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I. What about NPR's 14th anniversary? What about that one, huh? Do we not care about that? No, no, it's we don't we don't we do not. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So I I really, if you haven't read it uh, yet, uh, I'd be really happy if you read it. But you know, I don't expect you to. There were a lot of spoilers here, but there were. The fic is about the experience, you know? It's about the friends we made along the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm really happy with my, with it. I, hopefully I'll get, you know, maybe I'll hopefully get to some of the other projects I've been working on that I've kind of stalled on because I've gotten distracted by other things. But, um, you know, maybe I'll get some of them out and then, you know, this won't be the only one that uh, yeah. people will really like. So. Yeah. Nice. I mean, we always have moving pains and uh, the many X's of Wilbur. We I'm do. I'm plugging it here for any of you guys who don't know that there are other fish. Yeah, Revisited definitely has the most amount of engagement out of all of them. <laughs> which I think it's, it's just like the most accessible one. You know? It is. Not, it is. Because I think the other two are just slightly more niche. You know? They are. Uh, they mostly involve relationships to original characters, so I feel like that can kind of be a little scary for some readers, which, you know, obviously mm-hmm. understandable. Um, but um, Revisited, I you know, I think it's, you know, I and also thanks, shout-outs to, again, to Morgan for his uh, support. I think without him, probably no one would have read this. <laughs> Or at least it probably wouldn't have gotten yeah, as, much was, a, as much of a as much of a boost. Huge deal, uh, it, circa twenty fourteen to like twenty seventeen ish. Yeah. And then uh, now he's he's off to greener anime pastures. Yeah. Shout out to Dong and Ropa. Um, Shout out to him and his his hearse. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah so it used to be like. Like the the big the big cheese in the meet the uh, meet the Robinsons Tumblr world, which is like a very small. Place, it is very it's small. A big cheese. It is, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm very I'm super. Uh, this is what happens, kids, when you uh, stay up too late because you end up thinking too much and then have trouble falling asleep. Um, <laughs> I have overthinkitis as well. Yeah, and, and it always happens at like one a.m. and two a.m. I know it's like the worst time for that to happen. But uh, regardless, um, yeah. So just thanks to everyone who's been supporting me, and um, thank you as well, um, Irene, for your support and all the questions and your praise and yeah. also your criticisms. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, so I thought uh, we could circle back more to slightly authory questions. Sure. Like, okay, one interesting thing on on your profile, you have like a, and then the last question is, are you going to delete your older stuff? And you wrote, no, because I think it's always a good idea to keep the past in mind. That's where you grow from. 
and I was like, oh, that's so cute. I have the complete opposite uh, when it comes <laughs> to my work. Yeah. Because, like, unbeknownst to, to some of you, I've been starting and stopping several different projects over and over and over. And yeah. And I just end up, like, deleting them, so they're, like, I am a virtual graveyard somewhere. Like, I don't even have copies of all of my old stuff. They don't exist. Mm. But you have uh, you have that archiving instinct, I think. Yeah, I do. And, yeah, so off-stream, off-stream, off-podcast, off-air, uh, we talked a little bit about oh, yeah. this. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of sort of, I waffle back and forth a lot. Like, on one hand... You know, I, I don't necessarily, I, I wouldn't say any of my old work is good, and I, I do not recommend anyone actually read my archives. Um, Very relatable. Um, I don't really think they stand up well, especially since one of the fandoms I wrote for, Hitalia, uh, is uh, problematic, to put it lightly. So, you yeah, know. All of us as writers have dark past. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that we had bad writing or that we had bad taste. Yeah. Uh, so writing is just a, a, a constant metamorphosis. Yes, it you is. Know? Yeah. And no, no, and, and I don't necessarily think that, you know, I'm not trying to say that the fact that I wrote for that fandom like invalidates me as an author now, but um, I definitely don't think that um, what I wrote for that fandom really is good. And I would like to think that I've definitely grown both as a writer and as a person. Uh, since those days so you know I it, it's kind of weird because on one hand I don't like part of me doesn't want to delete my old work because you know I have that archivist preservationist sort of purse like kind of bone in my body and I mm-hmm. I feel especially now that I've done so much research for this podcast uh you know I really now that I've sort of felt the frustrations of like knowing that there's so much work out there that has been removed that I can't access anymore um, is kind of painful to me when it comes to like more from a historical perspective and sort of understanding like all the different things that are out there. Um, You know, but I'm obviously also at the same time. So to me, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to remove that history. I don't want to erase that, especially since um, most of these, the fanfics that are on that archive, that's the only copies I have of them. And I, I, I always think it's, like I said in my bio, I, I think it's important to keep, preserve that, those old drafts so that you can sort of see how far you've come. Um, yeah, I find that that's like a very magnanimous and thoughtful point of view. But I, on the other hand, am like, don't look back, <laughs> moving forward. Yeah. Forward. Yeah, and but uh, and, and but, you know, on yeah. on the other hand, you know, part of me's like, well, if it's on my profile, then you know, am I endorsing my work, old work, when I shouldn't be? Um, I think especially it's always interesting when you go farther back in an author's work, and you can kind of see their growth a lot. Yeah. I think, like, a, a really significant author example, uh, their first fic had, had, like, a really interesting and ambitious premise, but mm-hmm. the execution was, like, so muddled. And then yeah. the last fic, like, and meet the Robinsons, because I couldn't read the other one, mm-hmm. uh, it was 
equally ambitious and the execution was not perfect but it was like way better mm-hmm. and it, I don't know it's just been nice it, I think it is nice to see that and uh, I don't archive my old writing art and it's really fun to like watch your own growth I find yeah I do think it's it's a lot of fun and I think it's and also I feel like it's really grounding too like I think a lot of times there are authors or any creative people do creative work you know they they might get like sort of bogged down and like looking at other people and be like oh my god they're so much better than me you know how can I how am I good but then when you you know if you compare you if you focus on comparing what you're writing now or what you're working on now to stuff you did in the past and you can sort of see that growth, then I think that's a very good motivator. And it kind of sometimes even reminds you that, like, yeah, you can get better. You know, like, it, you did get better. And, you know, it, that can continue to happen. Um, yeah, the key to, to not feeling bad about your own stuff is just to look at your old stuff and not be in competition with other people, be in competition with yourself. Which yeah. Is, it's way essential. Yeah, and I think it's a well... It really does help. Yeah, Yeah. so so for that reason, I also, um, you know, really like, or I really want to, to, um, that's why part of the reason why I'm, like, kind of personally against erasing my own work for that reason Mm -hmm. is just so that I have that sort of timeline and that ability to look back at my stuff and, you know, feel the pride of having come as far as I have. Um, yeah, you know. so speaking of looking back on your stuff, sure. Uh, so I do know that you had another account where you published Meet Robinson stuff. I did. Prior to yes. this thing. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what your username so I couldn't even like out you if I wanted to. <laughs> I do remember like reading premise of the story. But then not really liking it, so I just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so so as you'll probably notice, if you were an observant person and you did go to my uh, fanfic account, not Denton account, and you also listened to this podcast, you might have noticed that I have mentioned that uh, the first fandom I ever wrote for was Meet the Robinsons, but you'll, then you'll also notice that... And then if you know that I don't delete any of my old work, you might be like, hey... Where's that Meet the Robinsons fic that you wrote back in 2009? Why is it not on your profile? And that's because yeah, it's not on attached to this. <laughs> They're going to be like, where's the hit? <laughs> yeah, where is it? Hashtag, rele- hashtag release the dove cut. So, yeah. So the reason why... Yeah. The reason why it's not on my fanfiction.net account is because it's actually attached to another account uh, uh, yeah, I wish I remade accounts as much as you did I think that's the clever way to escape your past but not <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and um that fic uh, like I it's it definitely isn't like worth reading um it's it's pretty boring it's not even bad in a fun way it's just kind of eh. Like, in my opinion. I can't remember what it's about. What is uh, what like one of them? If I'm going to if I'm going to just summarize it very quickly, it's right. basically a retelling of MTR with OCs. That's like the premise. 
it's it's not very ambitious. I think, I think uh, I it's partially like... it's partially based on um, a forum post RP RP session that I did with uh, a mutual friend of mine back on the fanfiction.net uh for forum boards which uh, are still up and you could in theory read them if you wanted to i i don't know why you would but you could do that um in fact carolyn which is one of the characters in that fic um is a ref is the oc of the person who i um who i did the rp with so that's also what it's based on um, yeah, I think a lot of authors will just like feature their friends and their fics. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of get that. I kind of understand that impulse. Like, mm-hmm. I think in general, uh, this applies to all art, but there's some art that's just funner to make <sighs> than it is to experience. Yeah, so, like, some things mm-hmm. are fun to, write, but they're like torture to read. And, yeah, like, that's kind of one of them. Yeah, that's like, definitely. Cause like you, you wanna, you wanna shout out stuff, but it's like well, the reader's not really in on your joke, and they have no idea what's going on. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um. Yeah. So I. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I. You know, I'm. I think that, um... Yeah, so you, you burnt that bridge down and you assumed a new identity. <laughs> yeah. Actually, what's really funny is that I think the reason why I, I created the new account was more because I thought my interest in MTR was shameful, which uh-huh. I, I think is so funny now just because of the stuff I was interested in at the time. It's kind of like... Well- Okay, Past me. Sense, MTR, MTR is not that popular. It was never that popular. No. But like it's no. still well known. Yeah. But like people only remember the the dinosaur joke and yeah and like two or three other things. Yeah, and like I I guess I just kind of got wrapped up in what my friends were interested in, and then decided that I wanted a clean slate because of that. Um, mm-hmm. and that's why I changed accounts um i don't think it really i don't think you know actually i don't even remember the password for that old account i I don't even remember what email if i still have the email so i might never ever be able to get into it again but yeah you no longer have part of me kind of wants to just to like see the statistics on that thing like has anyone even like read it in the past like eight years even longer it's yeah. been it's been eleven years that thick has been on uh, online. It's kind of crazy. Oh my god! Um, <clears throat> yeah. Damn. So, I, I'd be yeah, interested people, to see this. Ad- kind of tease me for for referencing Nathan Robinsons like maybe more than twice. Yeah, and like and I, I think I now. Stop cold turkey. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So. I guess what uh like hang on. Let me let me think of my question. I'm a very bad interviewer. Um It's okay. So like when you when you first saw Mitha Robinson's at redacted age Yeah like what 
what was going on in your head? Like, what was, what's your relationship to the movie? So, um, I, well, for one, I actually saw it in theaters. Like, I saw it not even just in theaters, but, like, very close to when it came out. Um, and if that gives you an indication about how old I am. Um, <laughs> I definitely know that there are some people in the fandom who were born, like, not after the movie came out, but, like, they were definitely, like, toddlers and probably too young to, like, remember when it came I think out. the youngest uh, fandom person I've encountered, like, the youngest person in the fandom that I've encountered was 14. Mm. So, yeah, so they would have been, what, yeah. like, two I or three when the movie came out? there will become a time when the fandom will like completely split between the nostalgic people and then the people who are like vaguely into it because it's like it feels age appropriate and cute but mm. like they can't they can never relate in the way intended they'll yeah. always relate to it in like a retrospective kitschy way right so it's like the way that we watch the flintstones now or whatever you know yeah, yeah. Or, like, you know, maybe maybe it becomes nostalgic for them in sort of the way that, like, movies that were made before my time are to me. Like, stuff yeah. like um, yeah, I call that Wizard of Oz. Say that again? I call that second-hand nostalgia. Yeah, like... Nostalgia for things you've never experienced. Yeah, like, um, like Wizard of Oz or Back to the Future... Or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Those were all movies that I grew up watching. And, like, you know, those movies were made, <laughs> you know, decades before I was born. Um, even decades before my parents were born, in the case of The Wizard of Oz. Um, so, you know, um, I... So, anyway, I would say that part of... I think what really attached me to Meet the Robinsons... I mean, it's kind of hard to ex to explain because I feel like a lot of the reasons why people like certain movies is a very emotional thing. Like, mm -hmm. one of the things... This is kind of a rant, but I'll try and make it short. Um, That's why we're all here. <laughs> I think a lot of people, when they make... When they try to, like, talk about, like, you know, um, media, especially from a critical standpoint, they try to frame it as, like, this is why this thing is bad or this is why this thing is good, and, and that framing is very tries to be objective but personally i think that the core of why someone really likes something or doesn't like something is more emotional than mm -hmm. logical um yeah you know it's because it's 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 wholly possible for someone to look at a work and you know from like most metric by most metrics it's perfectly fine you know like it has fine dialogue uh or the the visuals are good or the music's good or whatever like like it's most people might would say this thing is good but you know for whatever reason you don't really like it and and you not liking it you know it might not necessarily be because the you know it violates some essential part of storytelling it could just be that it just isn't, mm -hmm. it's, it's not a story that relates to you, you know, like maybe it's, you know, like, like maybe it just doesn't strike a chord with you as a person, or maybe it's about life experiences that you find you don't really relate to, and therefore it's harder for you to really engage with the work, even if, 
the work itself, if it were about something else, maybe you would engage with it. Um, yeah, I find that the, the rules of storytelling, uh, at their core, they're basically the conditions at which people have historically like, been able to connect to things, just to mm-hmm. make the environment as optimal as possible for the most amount of people to really emotionally relate to a given narrative. But a yeah. lot of a lot of stories like slip through the cracks and they manage to connect to a lot of people even when they're breaking the rules, you know? It's yeah. not about the rules, it's about the engagement ultimately. Yeah, yeah. And um you know, I think yeah, and I, and honestly I feel like a lot of people when they don't like a work, they'll they'll you know they'll come up, you know you'll you'll come up with these reasons why it's bad, and those reasons could all be very valid too. But I also think it's important to recognize that you know your emotions and your life experiences are a huge part of how or why you relate to a work or don't relate to one. Um, you know, like, uh, like. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, I, I don't know. There's been a lot of friends of mine who have, like, talked about, oh, man, this this thing is so bad. It's, like, the worst thing ever. I hate it. And they'll talk about it. And then I'm just sitting here, like, from my perspective, it's kind of like, I mean, like, I can see why someone might not like this said thing. But, like, I don't know. It's not like this particular work is, like, advocating for any heinous worldviews. It's not so horribly put together that it's like impossible to understand like like to me it seems like it just didn't jive with you personally and that's why you don't like it (laughs) but you feel like you need to come up with this like grand thing about why it sucks so hard and it's like i mean Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's okay to just not like a thing. I promise, it's not always, you know, uh, it it doesn't always have to be yeah, a big deal. I've I've started to uh, like kind of learn that the the likelihood of someone relating to a story or even a piece of art, like people's ability to understand art, is how much they can see themselves in it. Either their reality or mm-hmm. their goals and their worldview their yeah blah blah like how much they can relate to it and how much they can understand it depends on just how much how much similarity it has to real life like if yeah we're, if we're going from like a super simplistic point of view that's that's why children's movies exist because they star children they're for children that's yeah. why chicklet exists and yeah why action movies exist because all of these different genres are designed to be wish fulfillment for a very particular demographic to yeah. reflect each of these people's lived experiences as well as their their hopes and dreams yeah yeah definitely and um uh and so by the same token i guess the reason why i went on this non sequitur is more yeah. Is more because I'm trying to make the point that, like, you know, I think part of the reason why I like MTR so much 
is not necessarily because I think it's like a really like at the time when I was young I thought it was a really good movie and um, I liked it my, my like for it was very uncomplicated you know it was it, it, it made me feel good feelings it was yeah. funny it had uh, really relatable characters I was around the age of the major characters when I watched it like they were only like one or two years older than me so um, for that reason, it was pretty relatable. Um, I think, I think the, um, just the atmosphere of it was, like, really good. I think one of the things that William Joyce projects are really good at doing is sort of capturing childlike wonder in a really palpable yeah. way. And, yeah. um, I think that, I mean, MCR is sort of an adaptation of William Joyce's work, but I think that childlike wonder is still definitely part of the, the tone. And honestly, I think... Yeah. He worked, he, he worked very closely with the, the film crew, and he's, like, part of the whole Disney people, and yeah. a lot of his stuff gets adapted into very unsuccessful Disney movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... I would also say, as I've gotten older, I think, to me, I think what really, what, what, the reason why I feel like I connected to it as strongly as I did is because I think MTR has a very strong emotional core. Like, mm-hmm. the strongest part of the movie is Lewis's journey and his character growth and the lesson he learns. And um, I think... Um, you know, without that core being as strong as it was, I don't think the movie would have worked for me. Um, and I think, and I say that more as like a sub, more on a subconscious level, you know, like more as from from my age and from sort of thinking about this movie as much as I have. I think ultimately, if I were to pinpoint a more like narrative or mechanical, as it were, reason why I liked it, that would probably be why it's uh, it has a strong emotional core. And the plot and the the main the main juice of it, the main meat of the story, is really what brings it all together. And I would probably say that a big reason why that's the case is because you know Steve Anderson, as the director, was adopted himself, and I think mm-hmm. the message of sort of found family and that family is sort of who you who. Family is not something that is given to you. It is something that you create is, I think, a really powerful message. And it's one that I think um, is very, comes through very loud and clear in the movie. So, Yeah, Steven Anderson's influence on the movie is very apparent. Like, the yeah. emotions are so, like, genuine and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. A lot of other movies. Yeah. But we never really take the time to like mm-hmm. delve into the emotional baggage of orphanry, yeah. orphanhood. And so, I, like, I totally agree with you because, as you were saying, uh, Mika Robinson doesn't really hold up a look at it in strictly, you know, academic yeah. in terms of story rules. It kind of fails at like conflict and villains and character growth, a bunch of other stuff. It's like kind of floppy and rushed. But there's yeah. so much going for it that it makes up for it because it feels so emotionally genuine that it works anyway. Yeah, it has. You can tell. Even I can. It's not successful. A lot of people still remember it. 
Yeah, I, you know, I I will argue that, um, you know, MTR is out of all of the Disney animated movies, not Pixar, but Disney animated movies that came out of Disney Animation Studio that were CGI and were made in like the mid 2000s before uh, Tangled came out in 2010. I would say among those movies, MTR is probably the one that people remember the most and have most positive feelings for. And all the other movies that came out that are sort of its contemporaries, I think most people don't like <laughs> or are boring or don't really work for people. Yeah, I think um, MTR was a big win for Disney, but they were trying to catch up to the trends. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel confident in that. Maybe we don't have enough viewers to have, like, sassy people in the comments yet. Anyway, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that, like, MTR was, like, Disney's first foray into CGI. Yeah. And Pixar. Yeah, I mean, uh, as far as, well, I mean, they have, they did use CGI sort of on the side in a lot of their projects. Like, I think the technically the earliest usage of CGI in a Disney animated movie was in The Great Mouse Detective back in the 80s. Um, and then I think there was yeah, even some CGI usage. It's like a full... Oh, no. No, 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 definitely not. Um, yeah, MTR might have been the first. Oh, no, no, actually, I think technically the first... The first fully CGI movie that came out of the Disney Animation Studios and not Pixar was Dinosaur in 2000, I want to say. Oh, wait a minute. Unless Dinosaur is, like, not actually a Disney... I know it's Disney... I know it is a Disney property. I don't know if it was made by Disney. It... Uh, it certainly has a look. (laughs) I mean, the poster looks nice. Yeah, it's... You know, it's... Um... It's a very, it definitely was looking for, oh my, I think the fact that they did dinosaurs helped, helped avoid too much uncanny valley effect, and you can actually tell that they were, like, trying to make it too realistic, I think yeah. they were, like, imitating National Geographic photos. Yeah, yeah, this, no one wants to make this it's, it's definitely, anymore. it's definitely not in the Disney, like, like, it's a little terrifying, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't even know. I mean, like, the thing is that it's possible that, um, I don't remember if Dinosaur is considered. No, it is considered one of the, in the Disney animated canon. So I would say, yeah, Dinosaur is the first one that was Damn. totally oh, 3D. MTR is the first one that we're going to acknowledge. <laughs> yes. Uh, actually, Chicken Little is technically the was technically published oh, before. Shit. That came out in two thousand and five. Yeah. Oh, I always forget about Chicken Little. I mean, Chicken honestly, Little. we and can all just forget Chicken Little. No one cares about Chicken Little. Sorry, any Chicken Little stands that are listening to this podcast, but no one cares about Chicken Little. It's just I not worth anyone's time. Chicken it really Little isn't. Is, is one of those movies that like it way better in your memory than it actually is. Yeah. The best part about Chicken Little, I think, is the meme where someone kept changing the Chicken Little page. Oh yeah, it's... Yeah. Okay, so the dad's page on the Wikipedia, someone mm-hmm. kept changing it to be like, Chicken Little's dad 
enjoys neglecting his son, being a bad father, being a narcissist. They just yeah. have like adding bad attributes to him, and no one can be like, "You're wrong," because like, you're right. Yep. Also, think, yeah. Also, just looking looking at photos, they really overdid the men in show. To the point where, like, I kind of thought that was going to be a big part of the movie based on the trailers. Mm. But then you watch the movie and it's just like, oh, no, these guys are drunk. Yep. Also, like, um, I will will argue that uh, any version of the Henny Penny slash Chicken Little European folktale is better than this movie. (laughs) Like, any one of them. Any one of them. Damn. Oh, yeah. This is way more wholesome. Yeah, it's I'm also so that. it's also so interesting to me because like, um, uh, Chicken Little is basically a cautionary tale about over exaggeration. <laughs> like that's the whole point of it. Is that it's the whole the whole um... point is like, um, of the fable is that it's like there's a chick who believe who like when. Uh, like an acorn falls on his head and then he cries that the sky is falling like he believes the sky is falling so he goes to other all these other animals and like tries to convince them to speak to this king to be like oh my god the sky is falling the world is ending you need to know that the world is ending Mm. um and um i think they i think they expanded on that premise to make it funnier Yes. I think they're like, oh my god, what if the sky was actually falling and I died? Yeah, yeah. Also, I think uh, in some in some variations of the story, like, basically a fox meets them on their quest and eats them all. Like, they get killed for, oh, wow. for being uh, hysterical. That's what you get, I guess. That's what you yeah. get for questioning your existence, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this is a little bit unrelated to our original topic, but... Yeah. Um, the point is, is that I think, you know, MTR had a pretty big impact on me for various different reasons. Um, I pinned some of that to that it came out, you know, kind of at the right place at the right time, you know. Um, yeah, and I think, um, I think also make an impression on you when you're like yeah nine to twelve years old will last forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. So so that's kind of how I feel about um, the movie. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Sure. Hopefully, hopefully we're not spilling into too much time. Uh, uh, all I'm gonna say, I mean, like we've been going for almost. It, th- is, it is eleven. We're we're almost but... at three hours, um, and I know I'm kind of draining because I've been up for a long time. Well, I had a rough time falling asleep last night, so I'm a little tired. Okay. Well, but last question. Then. Yes. Okay. So, uh, I guess, like, what what were you thinking about when you were writing the story? Like, what, like, inspired you or motivated you to write the story? And follow-up question. Sure. <laughs> to my last question. But, like, were you, even in this story or in, like, other pieces, of, were you trying, do you have, like, a very specific vision of what the outcome would be? And were you, like, trying to emulate something else like were you inspired by something Hmm. so um for this fic in particular um i know the original sort of 
reason why I wrote it was, again, as a commemoration for the 10th anniversary of MDR. Um, that was basically the main um, sort of in, like point of where I, I started. And when I was writing it, I kind of wanted, I knew I wanted it to be sort of a stealth retrospective um mm -hmm. that i could like like i had the re part of the reason why or a big reason why wilbur and neil are talking you know kind of just like in general and kind of catching up is because it's kind of like me revisiting the fandom <laughs> and catching up with it as well and sort of reflecting on my own um thoughts and feelings on the movie and sort of yeah. the things i really like yeah. about it um and that's yeah, I mean, kind like of the, the basic premise was like updating the movie to present day. Yeah, like a very simple and clear premise that like meshes. Yeah, really well with the, the fictional dimension. Yeah, and I, you know, and I tried to also very use this. Decent, if you will. <laughs> Thanks, and I also tried to um, kind of put in stuff that I've always wanted to see in an MCR fic, like for example, Wilbur being uh, not straight is a big thing that I wanted, I've wanted to put in there. Um, yeah, I love your portrayal of not straight Wilbur. <laughs> Thank you. I think you. we need so much more not straight Wilbur in this Yeah, show. yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've already said that I, I personally see him, like whenever I write him, I, I write him as bisexual, but... Um, I, I don't think I never made that explicit in this fix so it's you know people could interpret it as in being just just into men which that's a fine interpretation too I didn't yeah. necessarily uh, come out and say that he was bisexual but um, oh. that's kind of how I personally see him um, cool. and I also you know, part of the fic is also I, I you know, I really like subversion and deconstruction, so I I tried to play with that a little bit too. Part of a big reason why, you know, not only is did I write in the fact that the time machines were being destroyed because I wanted a justification for Wilbur to time travel, but I also kinda wanted to subvert the whole fandom expectation of a Wilbur and Lewis time travel and see each other all the time so I decided to make a fic that in order to make it a little more interesting I wanted to make a fic that where Wilbur and Cornelius hadn't really had that like they didn't time travel all that much and time yeah, travel wasn't that actually was like super refreshing yeah I think both both ideas have equal you know they, they have equal creative freedom like you can run with it in so many different ways yeah but in the second version you you just have way more mystery because they don't know each other as well so they can just yeah and i also think part of it just more to explore in that sense yeah and i think part of another part of the reason why i structured it the way i did was also again to tie into that theme of it being sort of a commemoration of mtr and me sort of sort of symbolically revisiting the franchise or the yeah i don't know words um uh and you know i think in order to get into the headspace and the tone that i wanted i felt that sort of making it that these characters hadn't really interacted since 
you know, the movie came out, like since the events of the movie, kind of, I think, meshed with where my mind was at when I came to writing this, rewriting this fic. Cause yeah, this... was there like a specific thing that made you revisit me? Um, so I think it was because of Tumblr. Like I, I, um, I had made MTR a because I was I was remembering like I think there was a, a point in my life where I was like looking over some of my old fandom stuff and I was like wow I remember when I was had this really big MTR phase and then I like made it a ta- following tag on Tumblr and then that's how I found uh, um, Morgan's blog. And I think that's when I kind of officially re-entered the fandom, as you will. Um, nice. And then that's also when I found out about the that the, the, uh, he was making uh, a sort of commemoration for the 10th anniversary. And then, well, the rest is history. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'll be honest, um, one of the sadder parts at least in terms of like this interview is that I don't have a, a ton to say in terms of like background behind the scenes things. Cause as I said earlier, I did not really do as many, as much editing as I normally do. Cause this was more just kind of like, you know, a fun little thing exercise and fun little. Yeah, in, in your defense is 3000 words. Like, there's only so much we can say, but we have said all of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, you know, if this was, you know, something like Many X's, I think I'd have way more to talk about in terms of inspiration and, like, the process yeah. that I took to create certain things. We'll, we'll definitely be back here the next time either of us finishes something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure, like, there are um, plenty of, um, you know, works, like... Honestly, even if if we were in theory to look back again, I don't want to do it. But like, if we were to look back at some of my older works, um, I definitely had would even have a lot more to say about where my inspiration came from for some of them. Um, again, don't I would not I would not want to do that because none of those works are worth the time. Uh, they are all bad. But um, yeah. Uh, I think my inspiration was mostly just kind of my own personal feelings about MTR on a meta level. And then also, um, you know, the kind of how I've being able to sort of as an older person now kind of put out my head cannons and sort of really bring kind of what I've always wanted to see with these characters to light, you know. So. Yeah, and as we're constantly saying, there are so many opportunities that people aren't taking. Yeah. And if if only we had more time to just like write out all of our, our ideas. Yeah. So yeah. Right. I'm I'm glad that that we got this one out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think it did kind of revival in the fandom because. Because the fandom is kind of, no offense guys, but you guys lack a lot of imagination sometimes. <laughs> and it just kind of helps to give, ooh, I'm running out of like energy to say words. It just kind of like helps show a whole different possibility, like a whole different side of where you could take these characters. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad that um, you've yeah. cited me as an inspiration. That's 
you know, really, really meaningful. Yeah, it was actually very motivating because, you know, when I always talk about, like, that phase where I went where I would read script writing books nonstop? Yeah. I can't hear you, right? Yes, yes. Um, okay. Yeah, so, like, not long after reading this, I was like, damn, my writing sucks. Oh, my God. So I would just, like, read... I put myself through writing boot camp, and I would never say that the writing boot camp is ever over, but I am, I can look back fondly and say that it helps a lot. Well, I mean, that's honestly very flabbergasting. Uh, I'm very flabbergasted by that. Yeah, um, and it, I'm it's... when you said that you were bad with dialogue. Back then, I didn't really study dialogue as much as I do now, and I'm like, oh, I thought I was bad with dialogue. If we're both bad, we're just driving the car. I know, right? Like, oh no. Um, yeah, so... I think that, that also goes to show that, like, you know, if if ever you're unsatisfied with your work, you could just pull a few all-nighters, and then <laughs> you, can, you can go anywhere. Yeah, and, like, honestly, I think, I think now in my... Now as a more wise person... I say I'm that. Picturing Sophie from Howl's Moving Castle. Where she's like, I'm old. <laughs> but like, um, I think something I've learned, um, is just that, you know, um, you know, sometimes a lot of things are found in the edit, and you know, a oh, lot yeah, of times it's definitely. it's about massaging whatever you're doing into a place where it's it's good and like, um that's really the key um yeah any idea has potential it's really all about the execution and the execution is something work on over and over and over yeah and totally yeah and you can abandon the idea and then you can act to it and yeah you can revisit it right? hey yeah 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 so that's you know and i i you know even though i still think you know i think revisited definitely has flaws but i i still really i'm proud of it and i you know i i'm i'm impressed that like even though i didn't edit it as much as i probably should have it still came out pretty good and i think that's yeah, that's really cool bad. and i'm, I'm really i'm really happy bad. about that it's like a very well-rounded one shot in spite of its flaws yeah and honestly, that's sometimes all you can ask for, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then you gotta, you gotta keep all your future projects. Yes. Uh, I really, I really do have to get back onto some of them. Um, I've been, I've been picking at them, but I, I feel like I need to make a more, make a bigger, make a more concerted effort. That's what, that's what the phrase Okay, actually, I have one actual last question. Sure. But since, since that first story was written, like, four years ago, and sure. the both of us are still here. We are. Think, yeah, I know, right? Why are we here? What do you think keeps us in the orbit? Oh, you. You can only speak for yourself. What do you think keeps yourself in the orbit of the MTR? Um, I feel like it's just because it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like, it's like a warm, cozy home I can come back to, you know? Like, oh, some fandoms that. are just, they're always you know, especially ones that are super big, there's always something new that's happening, and, or there's, like, you know, a lot of buzz, and, you know, I've been in fandoms where, you know, I've had both, both sides of the coin, right, like, I've been in fandoms where there's, 
very little engagement and it's super small and it's very intimate and you know there's not a ton of new stuff being made for in terms of fan art and fan works but i've also been on the other side of the coin where i've been involved in fandoms at the height of their popularity where they're super huge and there are people constantly making things and doing things yeah there are um, pros and cons to a, a big fandom and a small fandom yeah because with big fandoms like there's so much non-stop content it's really Mm. cool people get really creative and they go oh yeah above and beyond it's really oh yeah but it can be so overwhelming i've been constant drama and people are oh yeah oh yeah quiet of a small fandom but then you're in a small fandom and you're like there's no content yeah that's like it's like it's such a it's such a double-edged sword like i know i've been so blown away by some of the fan content i've seen over the years like the amount of passion and effort and um just really incredible work that has gone into some of this stuff is just like wow um if they ever do stuff originally i will definitely follow that because it's just like real yeah, good sometimes I, I really like people's art and it's for a fandom i don't know but it's still nice oh yeah and i think Making work for a pre-existing franchise is less intimidating than starting from scratch, and you yeah. already have an audience. So mm. that's kind of the appeal of a fan work, and it's it just feels easier, even though it's like much worse. It still yeah. feels more approachable. Yeah, and um, I think that um, for me, I I think it's I think it's nice. If I'm still going to be in the fan space, I think it's always nice to have, like, a fandom that I can kind of always go back to and revisit. And uh, I'm making that pun a lot. Um, and, you know, come back to and just kind of feel nice at home, you know? It's, it's kind of like... Um, it's so cozy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like... It's like the music, it's like the metaphor in uh, Date and in, in Cash in the Rye, where it's like that the museum, the appeal of the museum is that it never changes and that it's just always just kind of there, yeah. you know. And and I think that that's kind of what I like about uh, Meet the Robinsons is that it's just kind of always there, and it's old, but it's still good. Um, yeah, and if anybody out there wants more of that coziness, they can check out the William Joyce book, which is oh yeah, funny. <laughs> I will be honest; it doesn't have like edgy family fun jokes. No, it's so it's just so cozy. To it's look at. yeah, so nice. William Joyce's uh, picture books are all pretty amusing and fun um as a librarian yeah, i would great. i would recommend looking at them or checking them out or just you know um yeah no the the picture book is definitely uh pretty good definitely a different beast from the movie um but still good yeah yeah they're 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 cousins not sisters I'm yeah not twins. yeah exactly they're sisters not twins there you go oh my god Anyway, our our brains are melting, but yeah, I'm sorry, I'm uh, losing so steam. <laughs> thanks, 
introduce the guest late. Alyssa for coming on. Of course. I have, hope I can come back safe, again. <laughs> have a safe trip back to Redacted. <laughs> yeah, I hope the roads aren't too busy. Hope, hope you're not too tired to fly back, you know? Um, I, you know, I think I'll be okay. I think if I, you know, get some caffeine yeah, in my system, we'll be all right. Yeah, my okay. wings are primed, and I I do I, well, I can't say I lift. So I don't think birds lift, but I do whatever the equivalent of body training is for pigeons. That's what I do before I, I fly. I think <laughs> pigeons' body training is just flying. <laughs> yeah, right. But that's just that's just how they, they get shaped. They do they do like pull ups from branches. <laughs> but yeah, we would love to do more of this style of. Q&A with authors and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We have yet to have someone who is not either of us on the podcast. Um, and I think it'd be really cool to have um, someone who is not one of us on the podcast with us at some point. Yeah, I think it, it would spice it up. The only criteria really, well, because sometimes we talk about like horrible things that need Jesus and stuff. Oh, um, yeah. Other than Oof. that. We kind of know a bit about Meet the Robinsons enough to talk about it. That's, yes. That's about yeah. it. Yeah. And also, um, uh, yeah, we, and I think, you know, um, yeah, if we're going to be. insight uh, in the author's mind as we review stuff would be really fun. Yeah. I think it's, I think it really can add some really cool, you know, um, additional stuff to work um and but you know at the same time as the author i i do hope that people don't necessarily read too much into my work in terms of thinking it's autobiographical or anything like mm -hmm. me honestly i feel like I mean, with fan fiction accidental there's all yeah biography kind of to, to some extent it, but it's not directly I think what's really nice about fan fiction is that I think it's death of the author, quote unquote, is a lot easier to apply because you're using care like like no one's going to think that I created Wilbur and Neil mm. based on some like some part of me. I mean, obviously, the way I interpret yeah, their characters the is part of me. Yeah, but it's so interesting because the way that you interpret characters who were created by another person who, yeah to an extent are also a projection of the yeah interpretation of these characters are also a projection right and it's just in writing you learn something like you're both scary yeah so it's i think cool. i think because of that degree of separation i think it's a lot easier for people to sort of read my work as more of yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not. It's not necessarily people, me bearing my soul. Too literally. Uh, what? Sorry, you've told me that some like reviewers or people like DM'd you and took took the fic a little too literally and thought, you know, that Wilbur was supposed to be you or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, which, which I never interpreted it that strongly. Yeah. Be like little bits of you in this story. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's the case with every author. You know, I think Neil has little, little bits of me. I think Wilbur has little bits of me. Um, I think, 
you know, the the settings that I choose. That's so and... Franny, but it's still there. It's all there. It's <laughs> yeah. There. Yeah. And because I think with original work, especially with authors that are public figures or authors that are very online and very approachable, a lot of people tend to read their work autobiographically um, and read it as like, oh, this is like a, a gateway into their minds or whatever. And I mean, that's some, to some extent, I think that's true. You know, I mean, you can't. It kind of is, especially if you start reading their whole body of work, you start to get a sense of that person. Yes. But at the same time, it's still, we don't want to take away the agency of the author because they. Yeah. Know, they're making a work of art and they're control and they're making decisions and they're creating characters. They're not just writing about themselves. And I did read, I did read, but about female musicians get really mad when assuming that all of their songs are basically just a diary. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, male musicians like David Bowie or whatever, you can understand that they're creating a, a narrative. Right. But with female musicians, because I remember Mitski was, like, complaining about how people thought she was, like, depressed and, like, sad all the time, and she's like, no, I'm just creating a character. And I think Taylor Swift even said the same thing with some of her songs. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's a fine line because I think artists do project onto their work, but it's not super simplistic, you know? Yeah, like it's not it's not as simple as that. I think it's, there's, you know, you, you when you create a piece of art, you, you shape it um, and you have, you know, some control over, over that. And... You know, mm-hmm. I think I think it's it's, it's a it's a complex it's web of both. Yeah, it's a complex web of both. And I Absolutely. think as you grow as an artist, you have more and more control over that. But you never fully yeah. have control over it. Yeah. Yeah. And personally, you know, I can I think now that I've read so much fan fiction, I can really tell when a work is clearly more of like the author exploring an idea mm-hmm. more versus the author sort of expressing their own personal like life experiences i think i i can tell a lot more whenever yeah. at least in the fanfic Especially world when it's like very specific and very not <laughs> yeah when the characters are ooc uh like to a really weird extent and yeah usually that's the author's voice coming through because they yeah go through the effort of creating a new voice they just kind of rely yeah, exactly. Like, honestly, when I'm writing dialogue, type in print mm-hmm. from the noggin to the keyboard. So <laughs> it's very clear how that can happen. In- yeah, totally. All right. Um, do you have any other questions for me? Uh, before we any last any last questions? No, I think I've I've. I've exhausted all of my inquiries. Okay. As you know, I'm an intensely curious person. So oh, I know. It took three hours. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure, you know, I mean, my DMs are open, so you can always ask me any questions you forgot about off, off screen. And, you know, I can always answer them on my Twitter or my Tumblr or wherever you might want to send me. Your, your yeah, thoughts. Yeah, may be a world-famous author, but she always <laughs> answers her fan mail. Yeah, I try to be as consistent as possible. Um, 
So yeah, um, uh, before we go, um, I do wanna I do wanna just quickly plug a new thing that I'm doing. Um, so uh, I've mentioned before, I think you know way back in season one, probably like once or twice, that I have a gaming channel that I do work on, and I have now uh, opened up a uh, Twitch streaming channel for that channel. So if you're more into the streaming thing, I might do that. I've also debated, I don't know if this is something I can do on Twitch. I need to like look into it a little more. But I think I'd be interested in maybe doing uh, live fanfic reading too. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, Someone should bring bongos for that. <laughs> yeah, everyone snaps. Um, yeah. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think it'd be a fun way for me to sort of read fanfic that isn't MTR and kind of broaden my horizons in that way. Um, uh, maybe read some good stuff. Definitely read some swampy stuff. Yeah, Celebrity and real people category. Uh, oh man, do I have things to say about celebrity and real people I fanfic. I accidentally stumbled upon um, a Florence and the Machine fanfic. Oh, fanfic. no. Some, some girl named Isabella, some like poor lady named Isabella. And I'm like, oh my god, is Isabella also? Oh my god. Like this big romance. Honestly. And I'm like, <laughs> to me the most so to me the most interesting stuff to read on on AO3 is the original work that people post um I mean, I, I sometimes venture into the bible fanfic I don't really know anything about like biblical text I have mm. no memory of anything I learned in school Mm-hmm. But just the existence of Bible fanfiction is so hilarious. I know. It's it's extremely funny. But um so if you're interested in the possibility, like I don't know if I'll I, I've I've set up two different Twitch stream channels. I've set up one for my gaming channel and then I've set one up that's under my rational dub username. And I think if I wanted to do fanfic readings, that would be I would do it on the rational dev um channel. Uh, but, like, let me know if that's something you'd be interested in me doing. Um, it'd be a very chill stream. It would probably be, you know, I'd just be reading, I'd just have, like, you know, the the screen up and be reading the text and, you know, maybe making some comments as I read them. Maybe after the end I might do an evaluation on, like, you know, if I thought it was good, bad, whatever. Um, I think my approach would also... If you can't get enough of this soothing bird voice. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, uh, I I haven't thought about when or if I'm doing it. And if you wanted to keep, like, know when I do that, um, I probably would post that to, like, my Twitter or my Tumblr, being like, hey, this is when I'm doing the thing, so that you can come and watch um, live. So... Yeah, so let me know if that's something you'd be interested in me doing. Anyway, uh, enough of me plugging myself. <laughs> uh, but thank you guys for listening as always. And, you know, again, thank you so much for if you have read my fic and left kudos or comments or reviews. Thank you so much for your support. It means a ton to me. And I hope that uh, sometime in the future I'll have more content for you guys. Um, yeah. Awesome. This has been the Stranger Than Fanfiction Podcast. Yep. Ciao. Bye.